Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, it's election day. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, oh boy, this is going to be fun. You know, we've been hearing about it for months. We had the primaries. We had everything else going on. Uh, it's it's going to be a very, very interesting time. And I have some breaking news, so I want to get to that right away, and I shall be right back. Okay, let's get down to the news trip going on. All right, hot off the presses. This is from the Babylon Bee. Biden says it may take days for Democrat votes to be double counted. Washington, D.C. As the date of the next week's midterm elections approach, President Joe Biden used his Wednesday night address to warn everyone that the results may not be immediately known because it may take several days for enough Democrat votes to be harvested and double counted. Despite the fact that third world countries around the globe are capable of tallying their votes on the same day as their elections, it's simply not realistic to expect that from the world's most technologically advanced nation. Biden shouted with an unnecessary amount of anger to the assembled crowd made up entirely of White House staffers and the media. Folks, we've got to take our time, find out how far behind we are, and wait for the unmarked vans carrying bags full of ballots to arrive in the middle of the night. Then we got to find out how many times we have to count each ballot. <laughs> Tomato soup. <laughs> As First Lady Jill Biden and Secret Service agents quickly grabbed the president and pulled him away from the podium, White House spokesperson Holly Cost provided the media with a backtracking statement. What the president was actually trying to say is that we will make sure our democratic process plays out in its entirety without anyone's right to vote being suppressed. There's simply no time limit on counting votes, even if various state laws clearly state otherwise. At publishing time, Democrat operatives across the country were continuing to stock up on snacks and making sure the voting machines at polling stations were successfully connected to the Internet in preparation for next week's marathon vote manufacturing sessions. And that is the latest from the Babylon Bee. And with that, let's go to our, uh, our government inquiry reporter, Brianna Cannon, and get uh, her take on, uh, on the story of the day. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> Good morning, Brianna. Good morning. Are you are you familiar with the Babylon Bee? Yes, it's hilarious. Oh. Oh, okay, all right, good. Just to make sure you're not laughing outrageously. I guess I was expecting more reaction. That's okay. Feel free. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, and this is oh uh, now I I was gonna I was thinking to myself now here's one of the problems I have I thought of posting that on Facebook, but I'm thinking to myself they're gonna say it's fake news to which my response is of course it's fake news it's the Babylon Bee. They have, they have no sense of sarcasm. They have no sense of humor. They just they have no sense. <laughs> so, so this is what I'm up against now as someone who recently uh, was banned for about two hours uh, on Facebook Saturday. And I know you missed the story because you're not, you're not on it, but it, it was fascinating. I posted an article. I'll be talking. The title of the show, The Left Denies Freedom to All by Saying It's for Whites Only. And there's a, it's my contention that Marxist class warfare is being waged through race. And so it was interesting that I, I found an article, Is Freedom for Whites Only? 
And I think the folks at Facebook, uh, as one person said, are from many other nations, they don't know, and have no concept of American freedom, like Twitter. I don't think any Americans actually work at Twitter. Uh, but the thing was, they, they look, looked at it and said, oh, no, that must be white supremacy. Let's get rid of it. So then I appealed. I said, folks, take a look at it. It's from a leftist black organization. What, what are you talking about? And like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and they put me right back again. So this is the kind of stuff that goes on in this crazy world of ours of, of censorship. You know, you think you're in a free country. Yeah, I think you're in a free country. And I do a little bit of humor with Babylon B, and I even have to censor myself so that they don't beat me to it. That's the state of affairs right now. Good morning. What do you think? I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and it's actually pretty common. People, like, sometimes they'll see somebody's post and they'll be, like, waiting for the fact check. Like, they'll put that, like, write it, and it mm-hmm. won't come. And then they'll get, you know, it's kind of disappointing at that point, right? You know you're yeah, where's my fact now. check? Where's my fact check? What's wrong with you people? You know, that's actually really, yeah, I, uh, I, that's insightful. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've done like the kind of like the same thing. I posted a joke. Um, it was from the movie together alumni from Patriot Academy, and it was a joke. And so I decided to post it. And mm-hmm. it said, um, uh, I don't remember it exactly, but it was something for like the same country that led a revolution against taxes is now hiring like eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents, or something along those lines. <laughs> yep. Good point. And it had the picture of, like, a laughing British person. <laughs> oh, right is this one you found, or, or and, you made this one, or, or what was it? No, one of the other students had made it, okay. and then I just posted it. Hmm. Yeah. I need and, a, I need a meme they, maker. They check this meme, and it's like you're literally <laughs> a 200-year-old guy on this picture. <laughs> like, it is not true, I promise you. Oh, that's hysterical. See, and this is the thing, too, that the fact checkers, they don't, I guess the algorithms, so I, I'm not that good at computers, but can algorithms, you know, detect humor? Can they detect irony? Can they detect satire? I mean, I, we do satire here all the time. I mean, it's, it's a regular, it's, it's a standard uh, on the show here. In fact, I think, did I ever send you all, all of the, the different things that I've made over time? I guess not. That you've made send, over time? Well, yeah, I see. I, did, I have a whole satire channel. Well, let me play you one of them right now. Uh, I made this before. This is because this is election day, so we should talk about that, too. But here's something I made before uh, the November election in 2020 warning. Well, listen, you'll see for yourself. Joe Biden's dark winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power. No Space Force, no Constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Oh, and that was two I years ago. That. That, was, that and that was before the election. So this is I'm going to start more of these. In fact, I was talking to someone that uh, uh, does also. That uh, so we're, we're going to have more and more sarcasm, more satire here. So uh, Block Talk doesn't care. I mean, they're great about this. I can do pretty much anything as long as I'm not, you know, disgustingly overtly racist. 
uh, or advocate violence. Uh, they don't. They don't really care. In fact, I talked to them about that too, because with all the woke culture, this is a couple of years ago, and I talked to the the directors and I said, look, you know, I'm going to be a little controversial here. Uh, I just want to make sure that you're not going to cancel me. Uh, people think that's really funny, accurate uh, or or against the the woke leftist mob. Like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> you know, just don't do you know what the contract says. And I'm like, okay, I can I can live by that. That's easy. I don't want to advocate violence. I don't want to uh, uh, threaten public officials. I don't want to uh, you know be be disgustingly hateful uh, unless it's funny. No, I'm just kidding about that. But but those are the, those are the restrictions, and I can certainly live by that. Now, social media is another matter. And so have you, have you noticed other things? I'm just curious because <laughs> your friends are already you know, guarding themselves. That's called the chilling effect, by the way. The Supreme Court actually put that into a doctrine. And they said that you cannot, you know, it is a violation of the First Amendment of our freedom of speech if people think that they might get in trouble for saying something before it's even said, and they self-censor. So the chilling effect is even a policy that might have a, a greater effect of people not even waiting to violate the policy, but by thinking that uh, just, you know, censoring themselves. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Any other insights on, on free speech and uh, social media? Um, I think that's a very interesting thing. I remember somewhere they were talking about, I don't, I don't remember where, but it was, um, what you say it was? I think it was, Patriot Academy, possibly, of okay. talking about the importance of speech and thought, mm-hmm. and like how they actually tie together. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes along with what you're saying, like people being scared to even speak before they even speak, they're scared of what will happen if they do. Yep. And it was. That's exactly what it is. That's, the, that's the chilling they were effect. About, yeah. Yeah. And, there, and whenever you played that little audio, it made me remember something that I found. It was, it was another audio. Okay. And it you, was you absolutely hilarious. <laughs> well, if you can send it to um, me, you... in an, if it can come to me in an MP3, I can upload it and play it on the show. So MP3 is the format I need. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was kind of like a joke, like um, mocking the Joe Biden admin about like how bad they made everything. Um. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, language is so critical. And I think uh, there's, if you, we did a show, I guess well, we actually have done a few shows on this, on the whole idea of the mass psychosis of COVID, how people were so terrified, they wore masks, locked themselves up, you know, closed down their businesses, injected themselves with uh, messenger RNA to have gl- blood clots and all kinds of other horrible problems, heart disease, strokes, and everything else. And they did this all because they were scared of the very thing that they were doing themselves, locking down, isolating, injecting themselves with, with you know, poisoned uh, things that they're, they're euphemistically calling vaccines. The rest of us are, are all kind of, you know, independent looking at this going, what are you idiots doing? But they were fearful. And we had a fascinating discussion. Actually, check it out yesterday. Uh, it, normally, this is a very risky report to listen to. It's the, the sex and sensuality report. Um, and we get pretty, pretty blunt uh, on that show. That's, that's uh, not for kids. Um, but one of the things that we talked about was, was a, a uh, you know how you have a physical immunity to a disease? Uh, and I was asking Dorothy, well, if you have a, and she's a psychologist, so I said, well, if there's a physical, you know, if we develop physical immunity to disease, can you develop a mental immunity to things like mass psychosis? And apparently, she was talking about they do studies on fish and schools of fish. In any school of fish, you've got the leaders and the risk takers, which a lot of times get eaten because <laughs> they're the brave ones. Uh, and you've got the followers that kind of go along, oh, I don't want to go there yet. You know, so they, they, they keep the herd together. So my impression of that is that you're weeding out all the leaders. It's like in combat. Who dies in combat? The brave. Well, who rebuilds the country? You know, the cowards that didn't go. <laughs> 
you know, so it's a fascinating uh, sociological thing. So that's so that's a question that um, what do you think about that idea that certain percentage of us might be predisposed to be just independent? I think you are. I know I am. I think anybody associated with the show has a has a, almost a genetic um, predisposition to to resist, you know, mass psychosis, uh, government propaganda and psychology. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's very possible that it's something that's, like, more inherent. Um, I know it is part of, like, a character, like, mm-hmm. part of your character traits and stuff. So yeah. a lot of it can have to do with, like, how you're raised. But I think a lot of it can also be inherently. So that's what we don't know. I think it's a fascinating study. But if you look at friends of yours, or look at people at Patriot Academy, for example, and we still have to get Rick Green on. You definitely want to uh, uh, get him on at some point. But look at the, look at the folks that go there. Uh, you're not the, the, the shrinking violets, hide behind the scenes, you know, don't write, don't talk, you know, sit in the back of the class, hope you're not called on. You know, those, those aren't the folks that go to Patriot Academy. You know, they're going to, you know, wishy-washy Academy, you know, you know fit in Academy, conformist Academy, if there is such a thing. I'm just making that up. Um, <laughs> It's my satire side again. But, but think about that. And so the question is, if you're an independent person genetically put in a, you know, oppressive family, well, this is actually kind of like my situation. I'll explain that someday. Um, do you still remain independent? Because here I am now. Or like in your case, I'm guessing, but you can tell me as much as you want to about this. But it seems to me you, you're probably born independent. You've always been independent. And chances are your family went, hey, yeah. This kid's independent. Let's see, where, let's see where this goes. It sounds like you had a pretty nurturing environment for independence. And I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and one of the things about independence is I think a lot of people kind of misuse the words in a lot of times now because okay. like, you'll see parents and stuff saying, like, they want their child to have independence. And so they let the child do whatever they want. And they'll never tell the child, like, no. And then they'll never actually teach the child what they need to know. And and I think the, what they need to understand is independence is a goal. It's not, like, an immediate state, right? Because if you leave the little child to go and be independent, mm-hmm. then, you know, that child's going to have a lot of trouble. And, you know, probably not going to live more than three years, you know. I'm just... Yeah. Do you um, see the difference between freedom and... In, yeah. Oh, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um do you see a difference between freedom and independence? Um, yes. Okay. Feel free. Oh, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Well, while she's uh, taking care of business, let me play you something else here while we're, uh, while we're waiting. Actually, I'm going to save my Christmas greetings. So let me play you one of our, our pieces here. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469 
864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. All right, let's bring uh, Brianna back. I, uh, Brianna, I muted your line. I muted your line for a second because we were starting to get a little background noise. So if you need to leave the phone for anything, just kind of mute yourself. Otherwise, we hear everything. <laughs> you know, any, anybody you're talking to, any, any pets that bark or meow or anything like we hear it all. So uh, if you have to step away, just mute your line. Are you back? Are you there? Brianna going once, Brianna going twice. Maybe she did mute her line. Where'd she go? Huh. I wonder if we're having phone issues. Well, this is no fun. All right. Well, let me, uh, some things I want to talk about as soon as she does get back here, that, because there is so much going on. Let me, let me get to my, my notes here. Um, this, uh, this is election day. And one of the things I want to get into with Brianna is, is we're, we're just starting to get into the differences of freedom and independence. I want to start talking about language and some of the different things that are being used in this, uh, in this election in terms of language, because it's horrendous. Uh, let's go. Well, let me start my other chat. Let me see what else I can talk about here. Oh, are you back? Hello, hello. Brianna going once, Brianna going twice. Unmute yourself. We can't hear you. Hello. Background. Ah, there you are. Good. Welcome back. I was just about to, you know, dive into an article. I'm glad you're back. Um, yeah, you can always mute yourself if you have to, and then uh, if there's like background noise, and then just come on back. And uh, so I had unmuted you briefly, uh, just because I heard something going on back there. And, and you know, we, we don't need the background recorded because whatever happens, you know, somebody yells is like, you know. We get it. It stays on the podcast forever, so we try to avoid that. All right, so back to you. Freedom versus independence. And you, you, you provide a, a, a fabulous example, you know, of parents with a young kid. And it's almost like a metaphor for the Democrat Party because that's how they treat, you know, their voters as, as, as children to be, to be cared for. Or as I said a lot of times, you know, farm animals on a plantation. You know, if you've ever heard of the Democrat plantation, you know, they like their, the Democrat voters to be, you know, well-fed, cared for, you know, housed in a decent pen, you know, put in a, a, a substandard school, substandard public housing and uh, made permanent victims. I mean, that's, that's the Democrat philosophy. That's well, let's talk the, about that. Go ahead. That's one of like the big differences between um, now and, you know, revolutionary America. Mm-hmm. And I say this because um, in revolutionary times, they knew that they did not want the government to take care of them. You know, they mm-hmm. hated government. They knew they needed it, but they hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they knew that it wasn't there to take care of them, but only to protect their inalienable rights from being infringed on them by others. You know, because mm-hmm. they believed that infringing on inalienable rights was tyranny. Controlling them was tyranny in that sense. And... Now, no, it makes it's a lot like of people think that yeah. the government should take care of you. Yeah. So where do you think that, that occurred in our history? Have, have you studied you know, like, a, so like a timeline? Where, where did we go from incredibly independent to actually fighting a war against the king and the greatest you know, army in, in world history or you know, in the world at that time, the British army uh, and British navy? You know, who are we, these 16 colonies, you know, when Britain had colonized most of the world to say, no, <laughs> we're going to take you on. We don't care. We want to be independent. You know, and how do we get from that yeah. to, oh, I have to wear a mask. Uh, I have to make sure everybody else wears a mask. I have to take a vaccine to protect other people. Well, do you wear a seatbelt to protect other people too? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, maybe if you're in the same car. But do you ever see that meme where some guy's wearing a seatbelt he's walking around the street? So just in case, <laughs> you know, I'm wearing a seatbelt as I walk down the street. Yeah. You never know. We've got, to, we've got to protect people. But uh, how did we get here, do you think? I think there was a very like progressive thing like slowly throughout time and mm-hmm. I think it kind of was like built into people's systems over years 
to where now it was able to easily just burst out of people. And I think a lot of it, <clears throat> sorry. That's okay. Came from, like, I know a lot of people are talking about how the educational system actually changed around mm-hmm. World War II. I don't remember if it was, like, before or right after, but they actually, I think it was right before, maybe. But they <clears throat> changed the textbooks and the education system used. And um, Woodrow Wilson had changed a lot of the history books and, and wrote and rewrote them, rewritten mm-hmm. them, sorry. That's okay. And yeah. they took what Woodrow Wilson had and put that in the education system. So that whenever they changed the education system, along with what people think about things, it, it constantly changes over time. And one of the other things is with the Great Depression, everybody was having so much economic problems to be able to actually feed their families and everything. And they needed, like, a government bailout, basically, to help save their lives. And so Franklin Delano Roosevelt went ahead and he instituted all these different policies to help these people and put in places so that it wouldn't happen again in the future. And he did all these things to help take care of them. And he he didn't do it, like, directly because everybody was, like, getting angry about him for that. He kind of, like, Uh went around it. And over... Over time, I think a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, that's right. He can do that. He can take care of us. It's perfectly fine. And, like, it's good. It helped us. It it led to all this prosperity. And I think that kind of mindset has kind of almost contributed down to where we're now, to where we are now. Yeah, that's an interesting analysis. Um, In the Depression, it's, it's fascinating that people did not take welfare. And so this is one of the benchmarks for me is at what point do people accept money for nothing? For doing absolutely nothing. Now, you know, and with COVID, um, people were happy to not work. I mean, they actually thought it was okay to live off working people and sit around and do nothing, whether or not they had COVID or were, or COVID was around or whether or not they it didn't matter. Just the fact that they they could be paid to not work that was their ambition. Their ambition was to not work. You couldn't do that in the 30s, 1930s America. They wouldn't take welfare. So in in order for whoop, got a bit of background noise. Uh, in order for uh, Roosevelt to get money to people because he was a big socialist and he wanted to he wanted to give people money. I mean, they tried to do welfare. I mean, I, I don't know all the details, but it, it'd make an interesting study. But they wouldn't do it. People wouldn't just accept money. So they created the WPA and the CCC, the Work Pro- Progress Administration and the Civilian Conservation Corps. And they're the ones that built the national parks and the Hoover Dam and all kinds of other huge projects. Uh, I don't think the I think that it might have been the Golden Gate the Bay Bridge might have had something to do with it because they were built in, in around 1936. Uh, I remember from my San Francisco tour guide days, but um, but a lot of the things that we have now are because of they were just paid government people to work, uh, and so that's how they took the money. Um, but it, that was a change. Uh, from there, we got to welfare. So I would say '60s welfare. I would say the Great Society was a huge change when people were paid. You know, single mothers could raise kids, so they didn't need fathers anymore because the government would be dad provide a how you know provide housing and food and things like that that was a huge change um all the dependence the education system changed i think you're absolutely right did you get that video um or did you ever have a chance to, i think i sent you the one on the prussian education model the model of obedience yes, and conformity not... okay when you get a chance that one but i have not watched it Okay. You're busy. I know. Don't worry about it. Uh, but when you get a chance to take a look, you'll see, you'll see how the uh, uh, education is basically based on a, on a factory system, on an assembly line, on, a, on a, the Prussians, which were very, you know, uh, northern Germany at one point was called Prussia. And it was a very authoritarian regime. 
and you know the the they, they divided people up into the elite, the aristocracy, and basically the peasants, <laughs> everybody else, which is what our country's trying to do here. So education does that too. Uh, and here's something interesting too. We did a show on uh, um, one time. I spent an hour looking at the uh, the course curriculum for Phillips, Phillips Exeter Academy. It's one of the posh you know boarding school elite prep schools before people go to Harvard and Yale. And it was fascinating the course offerings they had. It was really amazing compared to your government school. And so it's the government schools are the you know the serfs, the uh, you know the, the middle managers or, or the assembly people or the uh, you know the blue collar folks and things like that. You know they go to government school the elites go to a very select private school and they get channeled into the leadership areas of our society, which is really kind of sick. But that's, that's where I think a lot of this happened. Of course, education, then you want, you, you want your, your peasant class to be on welfare. So you, you have terrible public schools. You want uh, you know, certain people to, to work the, the middle jobs. So you have slightly better public schools and the elite go to private schools and they don't give school choice so that the, the middle and the lower income folks can't go to the same schools that, that the elite goes to. That's the whole purpose of, I think, keeping school choice away. But that's how things seem to be divided up, and I think that's how education got screwed up, and we, got, we became more and more dependent. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, given that, let's get to the election a little bit here, because we're talking about language. Um, you made an earlier, just a fascinating analysis of, of people, parents who think freedom is letting their kids do anything they want. That's anarchy. That's almost the opposite of freedom. So what does it take to be free? Yeah. What, you know, what do you need? Do you need a certain amount of laws in order to be free? Um, well, that's the thing with freedom. It's something that I've like, learned in my government classes. They call it like a social contract, right? Okay. Yeah, like, tell me. You have, like, complete freedom is mm-hmm. anarchy, right. which everybody knows is bad, except, you know, anarchists. And so what happens in what we have, it's a constitutional republic. We've basically given up our freedom to go and murder people and, you know, different bad things. In return, the government will institute, you know, a, a judiciary system and a police force that will help mm-hmm. protect us. Mm-hmm. From those. And whenever those things do happen, people get persecuted, or that's the point of it. Sometimes, you know, things don't exactly happen the way we want things to happen, but, you know. Well, bad things do happen, but uh, there's something called prior restraint, and this is where it gets into the totalitarian side. So you have anarchy on one side, totalitarianism on the other, and and this is, this is kind of like a marker of liberty, which is where I'm, I think we're going to head with this discussion. But there's a point where you have just enough laws to be free, so in other words, your, your safety is protected and your property is protected. So you need a certain amount of law and you need a certain amount of government because if you're, if you're an anarchy, all you're doing is, is protecting your property and your life you know, from, uh, from, the, from the criminals, the anarchists, the looters, the, the murderers, the, you know, the carjackers and everything else. You're spending all your time so nothing gets done because everybody's spending all the time protecting themselves and trying to save their lives. So that's, that's not going to work. Totalitarian, nobody can do anything because the government's so oppressive. Uh, and that society dies too. So there's a certain amount, and I think it's much closer to the anarchy side than it is to the, uh, the totalitarian side, where you have just enough laws, just enough laws to protect you know, your, your property and, and your person. And that's the point of liberty. We even have a chart on it. We, I worked one on this of the with big the, things, Yeah, go ahead. One of the big things that I've learned about laws specifically mm-hmm. um, is that when laws are made, in America, they are supposed to be made in protection of the people's rights. Mm-hmm. You know, they are made against the bad guys, so the bad guys don't do bad things. 
But now it's like it's a complete shift to where now they're putting in laws against the good guys. And it's like the bad guys are still going to do bad things, whether it's legal or not. But whenever you make it illegal, it makes the bad guys harder. It makes it harder for the bad guys to do bad things. But whenever they do, they can still get, you know, um, sent to the courts and put in prison or, or whatever their punishment is. I'm, there's a word here, but I just it's not in my head right now of the process well, of what happened. We got we got half an hour. <laughs> it'll, 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 it'll pop in at some point. Um, yeah. So here's the question: You, and then you said some good guys. It's yeah, supposed to be like mm-hmm. they're the reason that they have this against bad guys, and so all of these good people can live their lives and still contribute and still do good, you know? And if you start punishing these good people for doing good, you have an angry society. No, you have chaos, you have anarchy, and you have uh, the beginnings of of, uh, revolutions. You know, all you're going to do is make the good people angry, and they stop doing things. They stop working. They stop contributing. They stop doing everything because what's the point? <laughs> They're giving all the stuff to the, the bad people. You made a question. You made a statement though about laws are meant to stop people from uh, from doing bad things. Is that true, or is it more that uh, people, laws are made to punish people when they do bad things? There is a difference. I think it's both because sometimes things okay. can contribute. Because like, if you say it's illegal to have a meth lab in Oklahoma uh-huh. and you have police and they find one and they shut it down and they can no longer have that meth lab. And let's say there's still two out there, but you've uh-huh. shut down like 50. This is just hypothetical. Uh-huh. So you shut down 50. That's still only two that any of these meth seller people can go and get it from. It makes it harder for them to commit crimes and do those bad things in order to get it. It makes it harder for them to do it. And so um, I think, yes, if they still do it, they still can get persecuted. And that's the point that you're making. Like, yes, if they do something wrong, they get in trouble for it. But also I think whenever you put in laws to stop bad things from happening, then that's something that you can prevent. That's a good point. Because uh, I don't think anybody good is going to be doing math. <laughs> but yeah, well, and that's that's the that is, here's here's the question then. Who and this gets into morals, values, and Ten Commandments, and just you know people's basic instincts of what is good and what is bad. So so most people, you know, when confronted with the idea of of building a meth lab in their house, are not going to do it because it's wrong. Uh, some people are not going to do it because it's against the law. So the law serves, I think you're absolutely right, and I hadn't considered this, but, here, but it makes a, it's a very valid point that, uh, that a lot of folks will, will need that guideline. They'll need that guideline that it's illegal to put a meth lab in their house, you know, because they think, oh, I'm desperately poor, I need money, I got this, you know, no, and that's so bad, maybe I'll feel good for five minutes, but, you know, what, for whatever reason people might consider doing it, the good people are going to say, no, I'm not going to do that, it's against the law. The really good people are going to say, I don't care if it's against the law, I'm still not going to do it. And the criminals will say, I don't care that it's against the law. I'm going to do it anyway and see if I can get away with it. And those are the people that get punished. So the law actually serves all three. What I was getting to is this idea of prior restraint. This is something I don't think is taught in schools. It should be taught, it should be taught at Patriot Academy. Uh, and the idea of prior restraint, this is what gun control is all about. Uh, this is why gun control is unconstitutional, because it restricts you, like you're saying, it puts restrictions on the good people for what they might do possibly in the future. Maybe. So the government is in the position of trying to predict how to stop crimes that have not occurred, how to stop things that may happen. But in doing so, well, let me stop right there. Do you see a problem 
with the fact that the government is trying to stop crimes in the future through prior restraint of what you might do? Um, I think possibility is a very tricky thing because you have to base future possibility about past actions. Mm-hmm. Because you can say, well, I think that a mountain is going to grow right there possibly in the next two years. And it's going to mm-hmm. uproot these homes. So now we're going to make a law nobody can live in this area. Right? Mm-hmm. That This is just like a crazy hypothetical thing. No, I like it. It's good. Yeah, it makes you sense. Mm-hmm. Like, this has never happened before. It, a mountain just doesn't, you know... Pop up well, right a volcano. This when a volcano erupts, I mean, who's to say, you know, we don't have an earthquake fault. We have faults running over this country that people don't know about. Who's to say one of those isn't going to split, cause a volcano, and they actually have a mountain spring up. It's not that hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there's, you got a, there's a thought. <laughs> Check out the U.S. Geological Survey sometime but, where the faults are in the country. I was in the 89 earthquake in San Francisco. I can tell you about earthquakes. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. We can yeah. talk about that sometime. Yeah. But anyway. I, I think I could definitely <laughs> use a different example but you know what you mean. Well, I know what you mean. But, well, let's take I mean, red flag laws. Take red flag laws. In other words, someone says that you're a danger, Brianna. Someone says you're a danger, and you're now you're 26 years old, and someone says you're a danger. You know, your neighbor says, "Oh no, this is right wing fanatic," you know, named Brianna, and she owns guns, and, and I think she's crazy. She's threatening everybody. We better take her guns away. And none of that has a basis. And what it is is, you know, you have a dog that barks and they hate that. <laughs> or, or you have a rooster that crows. And it doesn't matter what it is. But the neighbor doesn't like you for some reason. So they can use these laws and say, okay. You know, and then the, the state comes and says, well, we, uh, we have a reliable source that says, uh, Brianna, you might be a danger. So for your protection and your neighbor's protection, we're going to take all your guns. That's prior restraint. Yeah. And another thing that, that, that I think is really hilarious is there's mm-hmm. like this meme going around about mm-hmm. like specifically gun control. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't even remember the number, but it was like so many million. It's like there's more guns in America than there are people. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's like so many million guns. And it was like, if we were the problem, you'd know it. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious every time. But it's still so true, though. So here's the problem in gun control, and this is why gun control is so evil. It's also illegal. All gun control is illegal. This is my contention, and you can tell me what you think. But um, as I see it, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. We, we know that. Um, given that it says, the Second Amendment says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms cannot be infringed, it cannot be touched in any way. If a law, which is subordinate to the Constitution, says, well, we're not going to let people own magazines more than 10 rounds. Uh, Oregon, we had uh, Lorian from Oregon. They've got a crazy gun bill out there. You know, we're going to get permits and uh, we're going to inspect and we're going to raise insurance and all these other things that make it impossible, that infringe, that have like a chilling effect on the right through financial means. You know, and they say, well, this is all perfectly legal because, you know, we have the state power to do this law enforcement. It's it's gun safety. We're we're saving people's lives here. You know, we can do it. No, you can't. Something very very interesting about arms in the Second Amendment is Mm -hmm. I was, because it's commonly known arms as guns. Like everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's guns. Not and necessarily. So I, and I was like, okay, well, what is the full, what's the full definition of this? Because now, if you look it up, it's like, oh, yeah, it's guns. But I looked it up and, like, what it meant in the year that it was written. And mm-hmm. I, I was looking, like, what it meant in that era, that time frame. Like, what the true definition of arms was at that point in time. And it meant, like, any kind of weapon, offensive or defensive. And um, which I wish I had the definition with me, like, right here. 
No, I'll say right now. Well, that, but, I know exactly where you're going with this. You know, the definition of, of arms is things that you, weapons that you can hold in your arms. Okay, a single person. Those are arms. Swords, guns, knives, slingshots, bows and arrows, um, catapults, crossbows, anything you can hold, you know, tear gas, <laughs> tasers, anything that you can hold in your, in your arms, uh, you know, as an individual, is, those are known as arms. So right now in Oklahoma, it's mm-hmm. illegal to carry bare, um, brass knuckles. And so I think that that would go against the Second Amendment because it is Yes, it would. Weapon. Yes, it would. Okay, now I have people that have argued that a battleship, because there were privately owned battleships at one point, you know, when we had, I think, the War of 1812. Some really wealthy people had ships. They had, they had you know, the equivalent of Navy ships. Now, those are private arms, okay? And people have made that argument. Cannons, you know, is a cannon uh, arms? You know, in other words, the distinction between arms and weapons. Now, there's a, a thing called the, the, the Swiss Arms Survey, and they divide up uh, arms into two different categories. I think uh, small arms and like crew served weapons, infantry weapons. So they divide it as a news and classification. So as far as I'm concerned, the, the Second Amendment is what it says, arms. In other words, things you can hold in your arm. But when you get to, you know, crew served things, uh, tanks, um, mortars, bazookas, anything that's the, well, no, those can be done singly. But anything that requires a crew, like artillery. And once you start having more than one person for a weapon system, you're out of the arms. You're, you're into, you know, uh, weapon systems. And I forgot that. Let me see if I can look it up because it's, it is a fascinating division of how it goes. But people will argue arms are any kind of weapon. And I don't think that's the classic meaning. And in terms of, uh, you know, our purposes here, a fully, well, let's take a fully automatic, uh, like old Thompson submachine gun, you know, that they used in the 20s. The gangsters used them. And so did the FBI. Would that be, would that be legal under the Second Amendment? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I think I'm missing something maybe here. Oh, do you know, fully auto as opposed to semi-auto. Do you know, you know the difference on that? Um, well, any, right, any kind of arms would be legal, right? I think well, yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying. There's no difference. Full, those are artificial distinctions. In other words, when someone says that something is, uh, Oh, let me see if I can. Oh, I've got it here. I got the website, but it, it looks like too much. It's gonna take me a while to find their definitions um, as to as to what it is here. Global. Uh, this is the Swiss uh, the Small Arms Survey. It's an interesting website, and I, I've, I can't find the actual the, the definitions. I had it here at one point. I'll have to do this another time. But the the way they divide up weapons is quite interesting. Anyway, I don't want to get stuck on that because we've got uh, we've got a lot more stuff to cover here. Um, but um, the whole idea yeah. that prior restraint that you can you know, restrict somebody from what they might do. So this is where the trend is now. So just as the trend is, is towards dependence, you know, getting paid for doing nothing, uh, the country has a tendency to, toward, you better keep me safe. I don't want to make myself safe. You know, uh, you got to protect me, you know, and, and the government says, great, well, we'll protect you, but you got to disarm. I mean, wait a minute. That's what they told Ukraine. Ukraine, give up your nuclear weapons. We'll protect you. <laughs> and then Russia walked in. You know, it doesn't always work that way. Um, that's all. We should talk foreign policy. I don't think we've done that yet. But the, but the idea of, you know, prior restraint of, of, of you know, well, here, here's another question. Let's, let's, let's end with this and we'll get to back to election stuff. Um, you know, should we have laws that prevent people, you know, or, or should the government be, be doing everything they can to stop people from, you know, committing crimes? Uh, and if they, is, in the, well, that's the better way to phrase that. Is it worth giving up your rights to prevent crimes? So in other words, is, is the argument they say gun control is worth it because it'll save lives. 
Well, I think there's a, a limit to it because, like, kind of like the same thing I went back to. We're giving up our our right to murder other people by instituting laws and law enforcement that says yeah, but you murder's can't. not a right. Self defense is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think I was thinking of freedom. But, well, okay. Um, well, yeah. see, but, but but that's a good question too. Murder isn't a freedom. So so, and you get back to our question of what is good. What would what do good people do? I think what I'm trying to um, I'm trying to ask you a question when I sort of have the answer in my head. It's hard to do, uh, but um, the thing is, that to me, the greater evil is taking away the rights of millions for what criminals might do, because criminals operate outside the Second Amendment. Criminals operate with the use of firearms, and just use firearms as an example again. So in other words, the absolute right is to keep and bear, but the use is not. The, you, the, the firearms, you don't have a, a use right of firearms because they're legal uses and illegal uses. So it can never be a right because rights are absolute. So you have the right to keep and bear, but once you use, you're responsible for that use, and there are laws that govern its use. Same thing with speech. You have the absolute right to free speech, but once you speak, you're responsible for it. Yeah, you, you might piss a lot of people off. Okay, you might libel or slander somebody. I think that's Those a really good way to put it. What's that? I think that's a really good way to put it. Oh, good. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I. That, the I, use I, of Yeah, I spend years formulating these arguments, and this is what people say: rights aren't absolute. We have to stop people from doing bad things. But here's the thing: um, if you have a right to protect yourself, in other words, where where does the right of self-protection come in? So, in other words, gun control. You know, disarms, of course, the law-abiding, because the criminals don't disarm. But in a free society, you know, if you have all your rights, people, you know, until they commit a crime, can exercise those rights. So then the left will say, well, we, you can't have people just buying guns and using them in a crime. And we've got to stop people from buying guns. Well, that to me is the greater evil. Yes, there are crimes that will be committed with guns. But the question is, do you exercise your own self-defense to protect yourself and your community and your family? you know, from those bad folks. I mean, there's uh, crimes, is, go ahead. There's crimes mm-hmm. that happen with hammers, but we're not going to go around banning everybody from having hammers. That's true. But, but in fact, that, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, ha- what's the, we, we figure the intended use of a hammer is like build things. You know, that's what they're for, but people can use them in crimes. Mm-hmm. People, that, that, uh, that insane person drove a, uh, well, I don't think he's insane, he's been guilty, drove an SUV, you know, into a crowd of people in a parade in, in Wisconsin. SUVs were not made for that. They were made to transport families to, you know, vacations and fun stuff. Um, so it's interesting. But, this is but, a, but, you know, go ahead. This is an extremely deep thing as well. And um, David Barton mm-hmm. actually did um, a speech over this, uh, like an educational speech over this, about mm-hmm. it's not technically like what you have in, in what you do and everything like that. It's, it all comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. Because you can have two people have the same thing and they can have completely different hearts, and they will do different things with what they have. Mm-hmm. And his, one of the examples he used is if, is if you want to kill somebody, but you don't have a gun, you're still going to kill somebody with whatever you had. He said you can even kill somebody with a can of soup. And he used the example of, um, I think it was Ken and Abel, but he, he was basically saying that back whenever there were no guns, people still killed each other. And it's, he, I think the point that he was making through all of this is that it doesn't come from the weapon. It comes from the heart. And that and his deeper point in this was going towards a greater point of you have to change the hearts of crime and less corruption. Now, it's never going to be completely gone. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't live in a euphoric world. You know, there there devils roaming all around. You're never going to get absolute perfection. So that's the big thing about putting the Bible in schools is it teaches morality. That's, that's one of the biggest things about the Bible is it teaches right and wrong. And that's why so many people are pushing for it to go into schools again because it was in there for years, but it was taken out, and it shouldn't have been. And, and it's not a complete cure of everything because people deny it. But it, ha- but it creates such a greater citizen out of it because they have and it's not just like morality but it has a strong foundation for people's morality because a lot of times now people say oh well morality is subjective it's whatever you want but the bible has a foundation of where your morality is and you're more likely to stand on this rather than you know waver in the wind and everything which is what we see a lot now and that's something that um my parents and i have just listened to it's called truth matters through mm-hmm. um, Fairview Baptist, mm-hmm. and it's a big lesson about what truth is and why it matters. And it, I think they have like seven different um, audios on it now, and it, and it does a really good at explaining it. Hmm. And it's just a, it's a complete spiral, and everything's not just like one thing. It, it's a big chain of events. No, it makes perfect sense. That's an excellent point. Um, do you think that morality increases our freedom? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I understand. Morality increases our freedom? Yeah. In other words, are we a more free society? Are we a more free people if people behave with morality? In other words, if they use you know, the, the laws of the Bible and the structure of society and they have a good sense of right and wrong, does that increase our freedom? I think it does in the way that there are less restrictions and less fears upon people. Mm-hmm. I think it does uh, for, for a bunch of reasons, because, you know, if we're operating on a moral framework, you know, you don't need all the extra laws because people are, are using the morals. They're using you know, what makes them good. And the more people acting, you know, in, in, in a good way is going to create a, a freer you know, situation. If you have like hurricane, for example, hurricane Ian, when it went through, there were looters. Uh, in fact, there are a lot of illegal aliens that specifically went to Florida to loot. You know, that's that's the character of people that come into our country illegally and want to keep committing crimes. You know, there's, there's no they're not moral people. If they were moral people, they wouldn't come here illegally. However bad the situation was. You know, it's like the old uh, ethics question. You know, if, if uh, one of your family members is dying is it, uh, and, you're, and you're poor, is it okay to break into a drugstore and, and steal the medicine? And a lot of people say, well, yes, it is. They're, they're dying. No, it's not because <laughs> there are ways to get medicine without stealing. You know, so that's the question. Or the, the lifeboat question. Um, that it was, here, here's a moral question for you. Lifeboat. They, 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 gave us to me, they gave us to me when I was like eight years old. Uh, and the question was, you know, you're, you're, you're the captain of a ship. Uh, and there's, there's, there's one lifeboat, you, it's, uh, there's seven people, and only, I mean, you can only put four of them on the lifeboat, and everybody's gonna go, everybody else is down with the ship. And so you've, and they had uh, a different categories. You had a priest, you had a teacher, you had a nurse, you had uh, a sports star athlete, you had an entertainer, you had a musician, and you had, uh, I don't know, something else, an accountant. You know, how do you decide, uh, you know, how do you pick the four people? But that's not what's really being tested. What, what do you think is really being tested? I mean, could you pick four people out of seven to who's going and who's not? I think it's, 
I think whenever people will do that and decide and they're picking those people, they're not mm-hmm. picking people, really. They're picking the value of their profession, the value of their knowledge, the value of their mm-hmm. contributions, not the actual person themselves. Because if you wrote names down, it'd be a whole lot different than if you wrote down a profession. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I took this, when the, I got it, I think, Cub Scouts way back when in <clears throat> various classes and things, they've done this. And I think the real test is whether you're going to rebel and say, no, we don't have the right to pick which four people are going to live. You try and save everybody. And yet no one points that out when you're a kid. But I thought about it a few years later. I thought, wait a minute. That's a horrible question because I became more aware and more, more knowledgeable about life in general. And I thought, this is ridiculous. This is, this is conditioning. This is conditioning people to make life and death decisions for other people. And I thought it was very dangerous when I started realizing that. So that's one of those little subtleties that um, – you know, that's, uh, that's rather interesting. Let me get Pianchi on the line here, too. And he, I think he probably has a question or a comment for you. So make him like, good morning, Pianchi. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Well, to, good well. Yeah. Again, I was going to ask her. She made mention that they took it out of schools. And I was uh-huh. wondering, who did she think that they were? Brianna? Good question. Um, so I haven't gone in-depth in this, but from what, I've, what I know based off that, I'm going to say the government and the school board. Well, I'm not even sure when the school board is going to do so. Let me share a little information with you. <clears throat> the only way prayer came out of school is that parents let it come out. Because federal government has no control over your public schools. The state allows the public schools to exist. And it allows the local district the local government of the district, which are the parents, to run that how they think is best for their kids. So parents at any time can have prayer back in schools. Yeah, is there, do you see anything unconstitutional about prayer being in schools, Brianna? Because that's the argument. No, absolutely not. I think, I think there's definitely something unconstitutional about banning it. Okay, explain. Tell me. Well, it's both the freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the right to do both, publicly, privately, whenever, wherever you like. Do they talk about this in, in Patriot Academy, the separation of church and state, and whether that's a valid concept or not? Yes, it, it's completely invalid. And one of the, the biggest things, I think that's hilarious, is Dave mm-hmm. Barton goes, Tell me where that is in the Constitution. <laughs> where well, does it say that? Where does it imply that? Yeah, I'm and, waiting for the, the interpretation. The big thing clause. that a lot of yeah. go ahead. The, a lot of the things that people go off of is, oh well, Thomas Jefferson said so, but that that wasn't the case. Um, well, he said <laughs> so in a Jefferson letter, but it's taken out of the context. Con- yeah, it's, it's, uh, people. Uh, Thomas uh, Jefferson have... wasn't even in the Constitutional Convention. Oh, and it was in a letter in response to somebody who worried about, like, um, one sole power over everybody else. You know, she didn't want, like, in Europe where the church is in charge of everybody. She, she didn't want that. And we don't want that here either. And yeah. so he was assuring her that the power jurisdiction of, I guess, government control, I guess, was the concept of what they were talking about is that know that they're going to be separate. They're not going to be one. And that doesn't mean you can't have the church 
involved in government. And, and mm-hmm. there's a distinction about the church because the church isn't just a building or a place or one thing. The church is like the body of Christ. And so when I say that, I, I say it of like the belief. You know, it's good to have religion in government. It's good to have that kind of morality and that kind of conviction to tell you that you have to do right by your people. And that's mm-hmm. something that we used to have. Now we don't. Well, most of the time. There are some good people out there still. And so we'll it's, find it's out very tonight. important that we... <laughs> we'll find out tonight if they, I mean, if they, they had daily, the election. Yeah. They had yeah. daily prayers mm-hmm. and prayer meetings that they would go and get together. And um, I guess that's one of the really strong points that Benjamin Franklin made in his speech at the Constitutional Convention is that they prayed every day in the Revolution. Why not now? because they're having so much turmoil and so many problems in the Constitutional Convention. And he gave that speech, and they went back to praying, and they were able to solve the problem. And, I mean, on a religious side, it shows the power of prayer. And a lot of people, like, secularly try and, like, avoid that and and deny it and everything. That's okay. They don't have to believe. We're not going to go and force them with a a hammer to the head or a gun to the head or whatever. Oh, they may force you to. They may force you to, you know, take all mentions of religion and God and Scripture out of the schools, and the morality along with it. So, so exactly. the the other side will use the the proverbial, the metaphorical hammer, which is kind of interesting. And there's another, and there, there's another side to it because you've heard of CRT, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a big distinction between, you know, oh well, CRT we can have that in schools and stuff between the Bible because. But what is CRT? CRT? What is, uh, how, how do you define it? How do you define what it is for, for, for you and friends? What do you, what do you think of it? What is it? For me, I, um, as somebody who's actually experienced it, um, it's something that it, indoctrinating, I know that's a really used word, but it, it's really true because what it is is it's giving you a false idea of what things are and it's telling you that Basically, the, the black people are better because white people historically have done all these bad things to them, and they have always been so good, and the white people have always been so bad, and now they need to have a higher level of respect now because of that, because they've done all of these things. And what it does is it separates races. The, the critical race theory literally separates the race into a good race and a bad race. And, and basically it's saying if you're white, you're bad. If you're black, you're good. And that's the whole concept that a lot of people are thinking now. And it doesn't state that directly. It doesn't go in and say, oh, all white people are bad, all black people are good. But through the information that it's giving you, and, and all, almost all of it is false. And not the way that, oh, like um, the civil rights movement didn't happen, but in the way that they portray it is false. The way that they, they write well, about it is and They have a lot of truth in there. They they have a lot of truth in there, but the way that they twist it makes it awful. Yes, I was going to ask you, when you say right, bad, good, in what particular way are you talking about? What particular way are they referring? Give me an example. Like, um, let's say like back Let's say the very beginning, I guess not the very beginning, but let's go like to the abolitionist movement, whenever they were talking about this. All of it was how all of the whites either didn't help them at all or that they were actually like 
enslaving them and wouldn't free them even after like the Emancipation Proclamation, but they would keep enslaved and they would do horrible things to them. And, and like I said, a lot of that is true. And the only actual white person that they ever mentioned helping them was, um, I think his name was James Brown. I think that's his name. Their first name might be different. And he was the guy who went to the armory. Do you guys remember him? Maybe. Yeah, I remember James Brown. Now let me let me let me uh, pose another angle there. Now you say that it's they it want to teach you how whites enslave blacks, right? Yes, and and that was true. But there was okay. also more. Okay. Okay. Wait. A, okay. Now, but why come it don't teach you how blacks enslave blacks? Well, because that goes against their point. Of course. Why would they want yeah, to share but it, that? But it, it it was a reality, though. It was a reality. It is. Black enslaved The very blacks. first slave owner was black. Well, yeah, they say that. Now, that's in the United States. But they never tell you the things that occurred for the slaves, or should I say the Africans, to be sent here in the first place. Everything has yeah. a beginning. So for them to teach you about how whites enslave blacks without teaching you how blacks enslave blacks, because it was an economics that both skin colors participated in, but they want to cast blame and stigmatize the one skin color, which is white. Yeah, and there's you know, another, like, really big misconception with the natives yeah, as well. A lot of people are like, all of these natives were so good, and the whites came in and it was just so horrible to all of them. And one of the really interesting stories that um, I learned is whenever, like, Mexico um, had a lot of different savage Indians, um, they were having, like, a lot of savage Indians come in and... Um, what what's the word? There's a word that they did to their homes where they like go in and steal and destroy everything and come back out. And sounds um, like tax collection. I'm not sure if no, this. I'm just <laughs> okay, that was funny though. Let me add but, another um, slant to that. Brand, I think you're talking about the Aztecs so and the Incas, but well, we can we can talk about that in a minute. This, it's kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah. Now let me put another element the, in there too, Brianna. You said okay. white had slaves, and I just showed you that blacks had slaves. Guess who else had slaves? Yeah. Indians had slaves. Native Americans, yes. yes. Yeah, Indians had slaves, and Indians being a sovereign nation, according to the Constitution, the president at that time, Abraham Lincoln, had no control over them. So they would not release their slaves, quote-unquote, property, until 1866, and then they said, if you want us to release our property, you got to pay us for it. It's just like someone saying, Brianna, I want you to release your, 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 bar, your, your Barbie doll. Well, you say, well, I got this for Christmas, so you're going to have to pay me for it. Yeah, it's interesting the whole view of people and property, and it's something I've never really studied, but uh, it, it is quite fascinating. Well, let me throw a monkey wrench into this discussion. You all seen Braveheart, Mel Gibson, 
Scottish accent no. digs, digs on the British. It's a bit violent, but it's, it's an interesting film. The point is that the British monarch oppressed, uh, and I don't know if they had slaves of the Irish, but it was not far off. Uh, the way the British treated the Irish and the Scottish uh, back in medieval times uh, was horrible. And it's uh, probably every bit as bad as, as slaves were treated, uh, as Africans treated slaves and uh, Americans and, and Brazilians, everybody else treated slaves. But the point is that they're all white up there in, in the United Kingdom. So this isn't a racial thing. So when they talk about critical race theory, you know, black's good, white's bad. You know, if you get the example of Britain, you know, you have white suppressing whites. Uh, so that doesn't hold true. You look at all the, Euro- the wars in Europe, the Germans, the French, the Spanish, and the British were all, and the Russians, too, were always at war. We're all white people. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, these, these things break down really, really in, in fascinating ways. But I think, and this is something I think Pierre and I have talked about before, and I mentioned earlier in the show, that what's really going on here with critical race theory is that the Marxist, the Marxist left, looks at everything in terms of class, lower class, middle class, upper class, aristocracy, nobility, monarchy, the whole bit. They're all different classes of people, and people are grouped in classes. So that's why I see everything in terms of groups. Well, you can't do that in this country. At least you couldn't, you know, 50 to 100 years ago because we, we had such a big middle class. So you can't divide people among class because you've got a small upper class, a small lower class, you know, lower income class, and you've got a big middle. So the only way to do that, you have to break people up into different ways. Well, the one thing we do have is a lot of races in this country because a lot of people came here from a lot of different places, starting with American Indians. And so you've got American Indians, you've got Europeans, you've got Africans, you've got Asians, you've got all these different folks that come here. So we have all these different racial groups. So that's the way the Marxists, I thought, decided to split the country up. And we're going to get into this in the third hour because Josie's going to join us here in a minute. But the whole idea is really, this to me seems like a, a Marxian class division, divide and conquer, using race as the weapon instead of class as the weapon and the definition, that you are your race. You know, and I, I, I was listening to the Supreme Court on the affirmative action, the, the cases that are before them. Bait and, and switch, right? Uh, bait and switch. Well, bait and switch. Uh, tell, explain that. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? I'm curious. Like portraying one thing, but there's another underlying thing to it. Oh yeah, that's just called fraud. That's the, <laughs> yeah, not exactly yeah. about the point I'm making for. Uh, uh, yeah, bait and switch is when you say I've got a car, 500 bucks, and then you don't. You have only 2,000 dollars cars. <laughs> that's bait and switch, technically. Um, but in terms of the, but in terms of, of this, it seems to me that and the only way the only way that this will work. This, this whole, you know, class warfare using race is to have everybody identify as their race. And I'm, I'm listening to the Supreme Court and I asked a question. That, I think I posted this on Facebook, or if I haven't, I'm going to. You know, if you do not represent your, your race, can you have diversity? What if you don't act your race? Is there diversity? Personally, like for me, I don't see the big point of racial diversity in it. Like, I don't see the, the, the goal or, or the point of it. I, I really don't. I don't get it. I know it's something a lot of people, like, strive for. Like, oh, we want this diversity. But, like, why? I, I, like, a lot of people, like, are playing that's on it. That's a good like said, question. The races. No, that's I a don't critical question. Like, what's the really big important? Yeah. Okay. Like, why can't you just go away? This is a good person to work for me. And you know, do. Why, why did you have to put race into the matter at all? Mm-hmm. And is race... Yeah. Diversity. Is race diversity? Pianchi, and then I'll, I'll make Josie's line live. She's going to want to get in on this. Well, specifically it, racial it, diversity is what I was talking about. But diversity mm-hmm. is not only race. It is character traits. It's everything else. Let's step back. Diversity, be, let's step back. Let's walk that back. 
you're at the point now where they're saying it's diversity. Why did they get there? They got there because on the college entrance exams, ACT, SAT, technically you're supposed to take the people who have the best scores and the best presentation in the extracurricular activity and so forth. And when you've done that, blacks were not, was not there. Now, does that mean that you have to change things and say, well, if an Asian student the scores are 1,600 on the SAT test, that don't still mean that they will automatically be admitted, where I think they should be admitted because you're talking about merit. But now they want to add in other criteria, like uh, did you grow up on the south side of town rather than the north side of town? Uh, did you have three meals a day rather than two meals a day? What the heck does that have to do with? So what's your opinion on that? Do you think that uh, it should be based on the merit? And the merit comes from people uh, studying hard, uh, comes from people being exposed by going to museums and things of that nature that the family and the parents are supposed to apply. What's your position on that? Yeah, I think everything should be based off of merit, and especially like in college, and especially in the workforce as well. I mean, whenever you are looking for somebody to go to that college, you want the best possible thing to create through that college. You want to create productive and smart and intelligent people who can contribute to those, because the point of college is to have a higher education to be able to have a higher job. And so you want to be able to have somebody who can fulfill that. And when you go off of, and when you don't go off of merit and you go off of all these other factors, it it lessens that. It lessens that value. It it lessens the reach. It lessens the whole point and the goal of that. And you get the same in the workforce. Like it, it's kind of like the quota thing. I think the racial quota is ridiculous because it's like you can have more qualified people and less qualified people, but it doesn't matter. All you have to worry about is the race. Right, it's you have to worry about what race they are to be able to meet your your quotas. And let me add one more thing to workers, it. Yeah, then I get Josie in the conversation too. We'll get her point in a minute. Yeah, real quick, this is going to be yep. interesting. This is interesting. Now, we, they you have private institution Yale and Harvard on the college entrance exam. They would spot blacks three hundred and ten points, <clears throat> Hispanics two seventy zero for white and minus 140, 170 on the Asian. In other words, before the Asian even starts taking the test, he's down 170. Before the blacks start taking the test, they up 310. Now, listen at this. African students, either those that are born here, that come here, they outscore everybody. Hold on, let's see. We so got a little noise here. Is that, that? Is, is that you, Brianna? We'll find out in a second here. Yes, Brianna's line. Hey, you hey, Brianna, Brianna? We're, we're getting, yeah, Brianna, we're getting a little background noise from you. Hello? Is it gone now? Mute, mute her line. I did mute her line. That's how I knew it was her, but I want, I want to be able to talk to her. So, But I wonder if she's responding. Yeah. So if you need to mute your line, just you know, when there? you're not talking. Uh, no, it's okay now. It was like sounded like uh, paper okay. sc- scratching or something like that. Whatever it was, that yeah, there it is again. There it is. 
you know what that is? We're having chat. Am I with my fan? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm fan. Okay. Yeah, be hot for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, let's get to Skip Yankee's point. Skip Yankee's making a good point. I'll tell you what. I mean, this is driving me crazy now. Go to Josie. Yeah, sorry, Josie. Brianna, I'm just going to mute you for a second. We'll come back to you. That sounds Josie, bad. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get her to fix it. Um, what do you think of this so far? Yeah. Speaking of diversity, well, I'm from Nicaragua. Look at, look at the callers. And uh, <laughs> got, I'm, got I'm from Nicaragua, and yeah. we do have blacks and blue fields, and mm. we treat each other the same. We don't look at the black people different until I came to America. Mm-hmm. The race and the race and the race, and this is all well orchestrated by our government. They want people to hate each other uh, because look at how many black people and white people are marrying each other. If there was so much hate, they wouldn't even be come near them. And, have you seen the commercials? Uh, this is all government orchestrated. But you look at commercials, almost every commercial has an interracial family now. Whenever they're selling yeah. like family products. Which is okay. Now, well, it's I don't okay, care, but I just find it interesting okay. that, but that's the trend. Yeah. The trend is towards that's the new thing because it's a woke thing now. So you'll see this everywhere. I mean, there are more interracial couples on TV commercials than there are interracial couples. I think <laughs> it's fascinating. Let's try and bring Brianna back. Look, Look, right. When Obama was running for president, a lot of my yeah, it's too much pressing over there. We're still hearing a little bit, so when I don't know. When Obama was running, change rooms or change something so we can uh, get yeah, rid of the background, or just mute good. yourself when you're it's not talking. Very yeah. loud. Yeah. When Obama was running for president, my blonde, blue-eyed friends in Miami, they really wanted to vote for Obama because they said, "Man, we have never had a black president." They were excited about it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see no hate, no racial against black people at all. It's our government that's brainwashing our kids. Black to hate white, white to hate black. You know, this is so well organized because when I go to Cuba on mission trips, the majority of people are black and everybody gets along. Everybody loves each other. There's no problem. And in Brazil, too. People don't have hate. Governments you know? have hate. Governments inspire hate. It's in America. But I think as you did. This, yeah. This well, I think as you do. Well, when I came to this country, you know, Brianna, we still, uh, we got to do something about that line, Brianna. Call us back. Can you just call us right back? Mute I'll, I'll just, yourself. Yes, Brianna? I can try that. Yeah. Call us right back. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll that. try that. All right. There we Sounds go. Sounds uh, It does. But here's something, but I want her to hear this question. Um, well, let me ask you two, then I'll ask her uh, again. Yeah, but it sounds bad. Well, no, she's off. I, I, she's going to call right back. Yeah. That's why you don't hear it right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, when I came to this country, and I, uh, I have never had a racial identity or anything. I mean, yes, I recognize that people were darker skin and lighter skin, but it was meaningless to us. In Australia, we didn't care. We all wore the same school uniform. We didn't care. We had Samoans. We had Indonesians. We had uh, Japanese students. We had New Zealand students. We had Maoris. We had Aborigines. We had Jews and Christians and Hindus and Buddhists. And we had Europeans. Nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. Let's hopefully it's, it's working this time. Um, is it better hey, now? When I, when I came to, it's better. Yeah, you know, Greg? Yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Greg, when I came to America, uh-huh. my first birthday party I ever had in my life, because we didn't celebrate birthdays in Nicaragua, if you look at my pictures when I was turning 14, I think there was only two white people invited to my party. And, of course, the family were white. But all my friends were black. I didn't have any problem at all. 
body. No, it's not even a problem, but you probably even noticed the difference that you didn't. That was not a quality that even registered you on your brain. But I mean, I you see people's hair. different skin like, colors. Uh, but what I'm saying is that it doesn't matter. There's no concept of race. That's, I came to this country without a concept of race. I, I didn't even know the meaning of the word. Brianna, we still got noise in your line. I don't know what to do about it. Are you? I'm moving it again. I'm seeing if it works. Is okay. it working now? Oh, that's better. Can you hear it yourself? No, I Scratching. can't. <laughs> oh, okay, so that's a, all right. Wherever you are now, just stay right there. Just freeze. If you're in a ballet position, you're stuck right. with it. Okay, good. <laughs> well, here's a question. For, here's a question for everybody, though, and then we'll get to Josie's report. Um, it fascinates me that when we speak about Asian Americans being deducted a couple of hundred points, that white Americans, you know, are, are, are level, and Black Americans are spotted 300 points, and Hispanic Americans are spotted, you know, 200 points. Everybody forgets the. Everybody concentrates on the Asian, Black, White, and Hispanic, but no one concentrates on the American. And it seems fascinating to me. Then when I looked at all these different categories, we're talking about people that all grew up in this country, that all have usually extended families in this country, had things that uh, Josie and I didn't have, which is, you know, these extended families and these long traditions. So we came here as immigrants, you know, and we're looking around all these people, you know, why should a, a black student or a Hispanic student, you know, get spotted over me? I'm off the boat, literally off the boat in New York. You know, we, we put our possessions in a, in a 1972 Plymouth Fury 3, you know, this lime green boat. It was the biggest car I'd ever seen. Threw all of us in there and off we went. <laughs> Ended up in Massachusetts. That's how I came to this country. And so the idea of, of, you know, it's Americans. And all I saw in school, I saw white Americans and I saw black Americans. But the American was first, not the white or black. And I was the minority. I was the Australian Canadian. And yet that was never considered because I was a white person. See, the rest of the world doesn't do that. The rest of the world goes on nationality, culture, background, religion, things like that. This is the only country I know that is so obsessed with race and categorizing everybody and that we're allowing for the fact that Asian students can be deducted 200-some-odd points when they're Americans. Has anybody noticed these people are all Americans of different merit? And that's just never considered because we have race warfare. Um, being, we have class warfare being done through race by Marxists. Panel? Who wants that one? I'll let Brianna answer that if you know. Brianna, what do you think? Yeah, is it white Americans or is really... it white Americans? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think that's a really important word now, American, because mm-hmm. a lot of people like don't ever hear that word anymore, don't know what the word is. It's like it's growing out of our American vocabulary, like what it truly means to be American. Because it's, whenever you become a citizen and you love a country, and, it, and not in the way that you idolize it, but the way that you want the best for that country, because it's given you so much opportunity, and that you are able to contribute to a, a good growing economy that's giving you more freedom, ability to educate your children and work a job and get money to feed your family and, and different things like this. Like, there's a quote of American dream for a reason. And I think it's really, really strong because people are trying to go away from the word American. They're going everywhere else, every race, every other distinction they can think of. Mm-hmm. And it's so dividing. If they could just say American, and if they just let everybody put in the actual educational knowledge that they have, the actual contributions that they have, then that's a good thing. And if they can help people have more education and learn more and grow more, then that's also a good thing. 
but you have to do it all in fairness. And, and it's not an equality because, like, we have equal opportunity, but we don't want equal results because then that's no longer equal opportunity. You can't have both at the same time. And equal results is literally communism. I mean, everybody's the same. Everybody's the same amount of money. And I think she's got it. So <laughs> here you go. Here's a chair. You've got it. One of the biggest proponents of American is, you know, having that difference between everybody. And you don't have to make those different distinguishes between each person. Like, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. Because by being American, you already know that you're going to be different from the people around you. Like, that's the only distinction that you need. That's just me. No, that's absolutely right. I want to get to Josie, and then uh, we can see if we all have time to talk about the election in a little bit. But uh, let's do this first. She started off as a poor child in Nicaragua, living under communism. And now she is a prosperous small businesswoman with a great family, living the dream as an American citizen. Josie Cossie knows all about both worlds, communism and freedom. She knows where your dreams can come alive and where they can die very quickly. And so her report is as much from experience as knowledge, and her passion and crusade are very real. With connections all over Central and South America, Josie brings you the world south of the U.S. border from personal experience, living, not just reporting, what's happening. And now, the Latina Report with Josie Cossie. Hola, Cuba! We have Cuba. Good morning. Buenos días. Buenos, Buenos días. días a toda la gente en Cuba. Yeah, Privet, Dove Utra. From uh, Ukraine, if anybody's listening, I've been giving them the, the website to go to, the blog. We're in, no, Cuba. Yeah. I don't know if um, I don't know if Brianna knows this, but uh, we, we Cuba showed up on the world map. We have listeners in Cuba now. And I'm trying to think, how the hell did that happen? That's amazing. I love it. So, Josie, how is that possible in, in a restrictive communist country like that? Um, someone suggested ham radio on, on Facebook, and I don't know if that's well, true. I don't think we're on ham, but the Internet signals, they're out there. They're in the ether. You know, are people pulling us in? What happened, What's going on? What happened is um, everybody has a phone, and um, what happens, they go to a park, and uh, they uh, they sell their Wi-Fi, like if somebody don't have Wi-Fi, they sell you like 10 minutes so you can be on the phone. So almost everybody in Cuba owns a phone. Oh. But the government is interfering back and forth with the electricity, with the Internet, with everything. And um, in order for you to have Wi-Fi in your house, you have to wait seven years. Oh, My pastor waited like seven years in line. To get Wi-Fi at home. Uh, right now, like I said, they're cutting the electricity so often that you don't know when you're going to lose power. So everybody's ready with wood in order for them to cook outside if that happens. Uh, one of our missionaries just got back from Cuba, and uh, he's used to luxury here in, uh, uh, in Pensacola mm-hmm. with air conditioning and all that. Uh-oh. And uh, he was soaking wet the whole time, poor guy. He very uncomfortable, no electricity. They hardly they hardly were eating because there was not a lot of food right now in Cuba. And uh, gas, it's a mess. The gas uh, problem is it's really a mess. 
Hey, Brianna, mute your line, chica. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I can hear that sound of like like a wind is going by. Uh, but um, the American people don't have a clue what it is to suffer to heat like that. Unless you want to go to the beach here, it's different. That's a luxury that you do. But for you to go to sleep sweating and sweating, and I remember coming out of the shower in Cuba, sweating, coming out of the shower. Like if I didn't take a shower. Uh, but the people in Cuba are used to um, that lifestyle because it's been like 50, what, 52 years now. Uh, so it's very sad. Uh, thousands and thousands are leaving Cuba. So I don't know what's going to happen uh, coming up soon. I'm not sure. Are people in any danger from, from listening to us, uh, considering the freedom we talk about? And uh, I, I worry about this with the Muslim countries, too, is that, our, you know, as we talk about freedom and people actually writing the laws that they consent to be governed by, is that, could that, I mean, for, for a revolutionary communist government, um, Brianna, I'm going to mute your, well, Brianna, mute your own line. Just, yeah, just, you need just, to hit, mute it. It's bad. Just hit the mute button. When you want to talk, just come off mute. It'll be okay when you're, uh, when you're, you're conversing here. But just at this point, yeah, just hit mute. I'm going to send you some information it's on getting a microphone. So you can get a microphone and a headset, and we're gonna we're gonna impose on your parents a little bit here. <laughs> see if we can get you a mic, so you can because uh, I, I think I see a, a whole radio career uh, at some point here. All right, so so are people, Josie, are you know for the Muslim countries for like Ukraine's not on our map, um, which is interesting because uh, no. every other European country is, <laughs> you know, I mean all of them from Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary, Czech Republic, Poland, all of Eastern Europe, you know, listen Moldova. Uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, yeah. Serbia, Croatia—they're all listening. Yeah. But uh, know, Ukraine's why? not. Yeah. So Cuba, Maybe are people in, in danger? Them. They could be controlling them. I don't know. Uh, hmm. For them not to hear what we're saying from America, because yeah. uh, I talk to the Ukraine all the time, every week, just about actually, uh, hmm. to different people in the Ukraine that I know and ask what's going on, and uh, a lot of them are clueless. And, you know, when Chernobyl happened, uh-huh. the only way that the Ukrainian people found out what really happened is through a newspaper in America, somebody that brought it in the country. They didn't know what was happening. They really didn't. So Chernobyl's in, in Ukraine, isn't it? Is it northern Ukraine? Isn't that where yeah. it happened? It's in okay. the Ukraine. People think it's Russia. Yeah. I thought it was Russia. I thought Chernobyl was Russia, but it's Ukraine. No, oh. it's in the Ukraine. So did you remember the, the reports that uh, Russia was going to test a nuclear weapon, a small, low-level nuclear weapon in, in Chernobyl? And I'm thinking, well, that, that actually makes sense. It's the only place that is radioactive enough that you probably wouldn't notice a very low-yield weapon wouldn't make it much worse than it already is because it's already pretty bad. And but, it's you still, know, the, but you know, now what I know now that it's going on uh-huh. between the criminal Democrats, leaders, I almost have a feeling that America was involved in this Chernobyl incident, to be honest with you. So we'll, we'll find out. How do you out. figure that? Uh, well, here's what I know about Chernobyl. Know, Chernobyl, just... well, see, the Russians had a problem with, they never put containment vessels on their nuclear plants. Pianki can probably address this better because he knows construction. But American nuclear plants have a containment vessel. It's like, I don't know, what, six to ten feet thick of concrete so that if there's a radiation leak, it doesn't go anywhere. Because you got six to ten feet of concrete around the reactor. Russian nuclear plants didn't have that. You know, it's communist. They don't care. They don't care about their people. They just, uh, you know, crank up the nuke and to hell with the containment. So, so Chernobyl was bad. You know, you compare Chernobyl to Three Mile Island. 
you know, get, I'm curious to be honest with opinion on this too, because, uh, you know, I, I, I was I not know. too far from Three Mile Island. I was up in the University of Massachusetts. I was right up the Connecticut Valley. The prevailing winds went right from, you know, uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know, right up the, uh, the valley. We were all set to evacuate. Um, so, but Russian, well, Russian nukes will, don't have uh, containment. We will find out. We will find out because there's so okay. much going on that a lot of people don't know. And uh, people yeah. don't want to believe it, including Ukrainians. They don't want to believe what's going on. So it's okay. I tell them. Uh, one of the young girls, she kind of like stopped talking to me because I'm telling her the truth and they think I'm crazy. But yeah. no, we got more and more evidence about those labs and it's just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But it will all come out. It will all be exposed. Uh, well, so what do you think? Uh, a lot of what's your what's your feeling on the election? Uh, is this going to change anything, or are the Republicans going to continue to be, you know, subservient already, to the Democrats? Already, on this election, they are already telling you in your face that they're going to delay the election counting. They're not going to count accordingly to them because it's going to take too long to count the votes. And this storm and hurricane is to panic people already, and they're going to use this excuse. Uh, they do manipulate the weather, which I know you and Bianchi don't believe, but uh, we got more and more. Well, you can influence the weather, but you can't, you can't completely control it. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd all have, you know, perfect weather. We'll They're have 65 degrees, it. you know, you know, nice sunny days, yeah. cloudy days, rain. Yeah, yeah. It's been going well, on I for st- years, 40 years. I started. We did not know. Yeah, well, <sighs> We'll talk about it. Actually, that's, okay. a good, that's a good topic for us to uh, – no, but it's a good topic for us to, to cover at some point. Actually, you know the person to talk to if you can get a chance to call uh, Mike Clinch on Fridays. We have Science Friday. Guy's an earth science professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a teacher okay. in college. I mean, teacher in high school, excuse me. Uh, so he's good to talk about that. But um, uh, in, in terms of, of – uh, oh, the start of the show this morning, I actually asked Brianna to make sure she got the beginning because I went over the Babylon Bee article. You know, uh, let's see if I can find this mm-hmm. real quickly here. For the Democrats, it says, uh, uh, here we go. Uh, it's a uh, Babylon Bee headline. And this is from actually a couple of days ago, which says, 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 Biden says it may take days for Democrat votes to be double counted. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but it, this is Babylon Bee. Yeah, but there's this whole article on how the Democrats are going to cheat. It's hysterical. Of course. That's, that's, that's how we get up in the show. But here's the thing. I found they're telling, exactly they're the same. telling you in your face that they're uh-huh. going to cheat again. So I don't yep. know if the plan is to allow them and step in and arrest them. I don't know yet, but uh, I don't think, because a lot of people that do not know what I know, they they cannot handle this. They're, they're, stum- they're sick in their stomach. They're just going to lose their mind. Uh, but these people are criminals. They've been cheating and cheating in elections for years in America. We did not know, thank God, because of Donald Trump. Now we know what's going on behind the scenes, and we didn't have a clue. We were clueless for years. We thought America was the greatest country on the earth, which it is, but because of this criminal corruption, it's yeah. so deep. The corruption yeah. is so deep, so deep the- in every way. Do you think what? if uh, the well, see, here's the thing. Here's what I don't understand. Brianna, feel free to join us on this one too. Um, the the uh, the stealing of the election in 2020, uh, that's bad enough. But the resulting policies, Obama. This is Obama's third term, and Obama's policy of screwing with our energy, tanking the economy, you know, printing money to create massive inflation. He's doing everything he can to destroy this country. He's done a pretty good job. Uh, it's recoverable, but you know, the longer it goes on, the harder it gets and the, and the worse it gets. Uh, but Americans, yeah. do you think they would tolerate 
Let's say the Democrats retain both houses of Congress, or maybe they only retain one of them. Uh, do you think people would tolerate that result, or would they go, oh, gee, we're gonna, we, we better get them next time? Or do you think they'd be marching in the streets, people screaming and yelling, and somebody I demanding? Think, uh, what I, do you think? I think if this happens again, which I don't know if it's going to be allowed to happen, um, because Donald Trump and the military uh, is in control of space for They're tracking everything. They're tracking everything right now, as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, and a lot of people, they don't know, they're clueless. They're clueless that the vaccine is killing people. They're clueless about a lot of stuff. They're like, what? And so, anyway, I think they will lose their minds. Their streets will be a chaos, uh, yeah, on the 9th, which is my birthday. So, Happy yeah. birthday so to you. Crazy. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's not because of, I don't think it's because of the election fraud that people will be so upset, which is what has me upset, but it's the fact that gas prices are going to skyrocket, that jobs are going to be destroyed, that uh, inflation is going to go like crazy, that the, the quality of life is just going to drop precipitously. You know, when the, This is what government control of the, of the country looks like. If you want people to control, you've got to go back to real elections, but this is what the uh, government will do if given opinion. all these controls. Yeah. But my opinion is, if we allow them to go ahead, it's just be probably for a few days, and it will be all over, all over. Yeah. Revolution in the streets. Well, let's get Brianna, and then I'll get Pianchi. Brianna, what do you think? If uh, if the Democrats retain so, Congress and people, you know, we have the same old policies only, and things just keep getting worse, what do you think? Um, I think it's going to be devastating for the citizens, or should I say, we the people of the United States of America. But um, one of the things on this, whenever you guys are talking about energy, I have to say, Mark Wayne Mullen, he is the um, U.S. Senator right here for Oklahoma he's running, and mm-hmm. he has been taking amazing strides to preserve Oklahoma oil and natural gas and stuff in Oklahoma, and he is calling out the Democrats on everything that they're doing wrong, and he is really fighting for Oklahoma. And But I'm really glad that we have such a great senator like that. If only I could vote for him in this election. You will. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you about 2024. Can you vote in 2024? Um, I, I don't know. Mama, am I going to vote in 2024? <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, as long as you turn 18 before election day, you can vote in 2024. Yeah, that's what, 18. That's what, you should be able yeah, to vote. That was my question. All right. Because it would be interesting to see how, uh, how we lead up to that with your vote. But uh, here's a question in Oklahoma. Now, I didn't know Oklahoma had oil and gas. So you have oil and gas reserves in Oklahoma, pretty decent ones? Yes. Are they on federal land? Yes. Pianchi Pianchi knows what I'm going to ask next. Are they on federal land or are they on state land? Oh, goodness gracious. You can look it up for next week. And there's a reason I'm asking. I figured it was all state, but now that you ask that, you know. My knowledge of oil and gas is very expensive. Is it being developed? Do you have an oil and gas industry in Oklahoma? Um, yes, I'm pretty sure we do. Yes, because he's been working with them. Okay. Here's what I'm asking. Because we had Dr. Roger Roots on about uh, maybe two months ago now, and we talked about how all the western states, most of the states are federally controlled. Nevada, Arizona, parts of California, all the big states out there have huge amounts of their land controlled by the federal government. That's illegal. It's unconstitutional. So what I'm getting to is that if your Senate candidate really knows their constitutional stuff, they will say that all of Oklahoma belongs to the state of Oklahoma, and you can drill anything you damn well please. Is he talking about that? Yeah. I'm, um, 
Maybe I haven't read all of them, but you know, I said that I don't know. So if you get a chance to look at it for next week, I'd be curious because if Oklahoma has Definitely. a huge amount of federal land, and if, if that federal land is being locked up by the federal government who thinks they own it when they really don't, Constitution doesn't give them permission to own state land. Only land under docks, armories, uh, the border, and Washington, D.C. That's it. Everything else in the states is state land. So Oklahoma could take over any so-called federal land and start exploring for oil, natural gas, and, uh, and sell it as state land. Yeah, and I have to mention, we uh-huh. are pulling into the polling station right now. <laughs> got to go. <laughs> no, but you just got to mention that. What's so the price? What's, what's like the price of gasoline? What, what's the price of gasoline where you are? Um, I don't know where it is right now, but I know to fill my tank is like seventy dollars. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Jesse, back to you. This is your report. Um, do you want to cover your story? Yes, I'm ready. I okay. Go I ahead. do Good have like a couple of things on like specifically the elections for today. And one of the biggest things is um, principle over, yeah, principle over their um, party. Because yeah. let, me, a lot let of me hold you to that for things, just a little bit. Let me hold you. Just, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if you hear this. Something we may have to take up next week. Um, but uh, you're getting so good at this. You know, we've stretched your, your 30 minute report into two hours, which is really cool. But I want to do something really special. And I want to talk to uh, Josie about this while she's here for her report. So, not against you. It's just, it's just time scheduling. I just want to make sure we get this yeah. in yeah, uh, during, during yeah. Josie's time. So, so, hang on. And like I said, you can always do things, you, you know, follow up weeks. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, you should, yeah, she's, she, she's, she's a kid. She's got plenty of time. It's years, you know, anyway. So there's a new online magazine called George, uh, georgeonline.com. And this is the, uh, the successor to Brandy got to meet your line. And if you don't, I'm going to have to. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. It's okay. Just mute yourself for a while and we'll get to this. Let me talk to Josie for a bit. So this yeah, is all, this you. is, um, now, <clears throat> I remember the original. I didn't read it a whole lot, you know, but uh, this was from John Kennedy Jr. And John John, the one who saluted uh, the, the coffin of, of uh, John Kennedy when it was uh, carried on the, on the horse, on the cart, cart uh, pulled by the horses to Washington, D.C. after he was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And so he started this magazine called uh, George. And I'm not sure. I guess it was George Washington. Uh, it was named after. But anyway, um, now the question is, now, I believe he passed on. He had that, that airplane accident. In fact, I talked about that with Ken Hamblin, uh, the Black Avenger, who was a talk show host, who was a pilot. I was a pilot. We talked about it in the, the graveyard spiral. And Pianchi and I can go over that as well. But what's so fascinating about this one is that Josie's in it. And this is a very emotional story. Uh, I might get, uh, you know, I'll see if I can get through it because it, I, know, I know you. Um, okay to mention your name in this one do you, or, or what do you want to do? Should sure. I read it verbatim? Okay. Yeah, you, All right. Okay. Yeah, you so, can uh, my real name. It's fine. Okay. So Josie doesn't always go by Josie, and I've known this for a long, long time. Anyway, so the, the article is called The Journey. So you want to go to georgeonline.com, go to Faith's Corner, and it's the first story called The Journey. And then it's the subtitle of The Dream. <clears throat> Excuse me. So my name is Chepita Morales. I am a first-generation American that I was born in Managua, Nicaragua in 1958 and later naturalized a U.S. citizen. I grew up in a very poor family of six girls, three older and two younger. My mother and a physically and emotionally abusive alcoholic father who kept our family broke and without food because of his addiction. I remember going to sleep many nights extremely hungry. It it also didn't help that my country was under the control of the Somoza family, a puppet regime put in place by the American government whose military wrecked havoc on the people. 
in December of 1971, after just turning 13, uh, was when my mother seized an opportunity for me to escape this life. An American diplomat who had made friends with my older sisters convinced her to let me return with him as legal guardian to Washington, D.C. to live with his family and attend school. So she let me go, not knowing what would befall me there. Pedophilia began almost immediately as he would sexually fondle me while I was asleep. I'd wake up thinking that I was dreaming, but four months later, reality set in when he actually raped me. I was all alone, a scared young girl, not even knowing what sex was, without my mother or anyone to hear my crying and comfort me. Things changed from poverty to perversion. I became very upset with the God I knew and wondered, was this going to be my new life now? In July of 1973, the U.S. government sent us on assignment to Chile. On September 11th, a U.S.-backed military coup began with Augusto Pinochet seizing control of the country from Salvador Allende. Curfews were instituted, food shortages, toilet paper, and bread lines began. And at 14, I personally witnessed the execution of many college students who lived across the street, suspected of having ties to Allende's Marxist movement. From Chile, we were sent to Peru. The Marxist terrorists were already slowly infiltrating the country. Not knowing the type of assignment we were on, I was surprised to see the Marxist territories, uh, terrorists, excuse me, Marxist terrorists show up at our front door with guns drawn. We hid under, uh, we hid until they left and had to escape the next day, being evacuated back to Washington, D.C. We remained in D.C. until he retired and then moved to Miami. It was there, after many years, pretending to be his adopted daughter, that he coerced me into marriage once I turned 18. While living in Miami, my life took another twist when I fell in love with a young Air Force guy. I was still married at the time, but 11 months later, I divorced the old man, married my new husband, and had a baby girl. In 1998, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and became his ambassador of the gospel. Having now the mind of Christ... He gave me the wisdom and understanding to realize that all I had been through was according to his plan and purpose, albeit painful. Armed with the knowledge of these life experiences, I see what our political leaders are doing to America, and it angers me. As a legal Latina, I took the oath to defend our Constitution, and I will participate in the political system to affect changes. In 2020, I wrote a fingerprint ID bill using the website writeyourlaws.com for the purpose of stopping voter fraud and submitted it to our state representative to forward to Congress. I am also using my business as a platform to share the gospel, my story, and that there is only one America blessed by God, and she is still worth fighting for. Jesse, that's amazing. Woo-hoo. That's incredible. Wow. That's your story, there. folks, and that's what's in uh, that's what's in GeorgeOnline.com under Faith's Corner, uh, the journey. Yes, and that's why it's you're emotional. always. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm getting emotional. I mean, I, I knew some of that, but I didn't know all yeah. of it. Um, Josie, I'll, I'll tell you yeah. now. I promise you, you will always have a place on Action Radio. I don't care what happens yeah. to to me, this station, Thank or whatever. You. you know, but you you've always got a place here. And so Josie's probably the the person who's been you know on my show and with me the longest uh, as my friend. And who used to bring, uh, what did you bring me? That, that uh, chicken and rice dish, <laughs> you know, WBY. She used to yeah. bring food. You know, it was really cool stuff. Uh-huh. So this is the person. So this has little depth. You know, for those who didn't know Josie, I mean, Josie's really special. And even though I get after her and we disagree on things, um, uh, like I say, That's okay. you know, just, Josie's one of a kind. I've been around. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So, so when you mm-hmm. talk about these things, when you talk about communism, when you talk about Marxism, and well, let me ask you a question: uh, from Samosa's dictatorship, military dictatorship, to Daniel Ortega's communism, 
do you, was there a lot of difference or is it just trading one tyrant for another? Well, at the beginning, uh, what the Sandinistas, uh, and I was not in the country, I already left in 71, uh, mm-hmm. but I used to go every two years, uh, but my family went through the whole thing in Nicaragua. Uh, with the Sandinistas, at the beginning, they were promising this, promising free, promising, you know, like like uh, Bernie Sanders here, promising mm-hmm. this, promising that. Which free is, stuff. That's what communism does. Yeah, free, free stuff. stuff. And people yeah. go for it, especially they convince the young people and the poor people, like mm-hmm. in Venezuela, the poor people, oh, my God, and, and, and in Colombia and in Mexico. And you know what? The rich people flee the country, and you ended up broke. Look at Cuba. Mm-hmm. Cuba, you don't even have uh, bleach in a house, so all the toilets are disgusting. You don't have a toilet seat. Women really get bothered by not sitting on a toilet seat because 52 years ago the toilet seats have broken and no good because they had it all before. So when you are in the airport heading to Cuba, you're going to see many, many people going to Cuba with a toilet ring around their head in order to sneak it in so they don't have to put it in the suitcase because it's heavy. So you see a lot of them young men carrying a toilet seat around their neck. It is crazy. I said, like, what is that? I didn't know, but or bicycles. But uh, Nicaragua totally changed so fast. And people hated it, but there's nothing they can do. But at least in Nicaragua, you can escape. In Cuba, there's no way you can escape because of the waters. You know, you don't have a boat. You don't have this. You don't have that. And that's how people were making those rafts from a car, an old car with, with, uh, uh, um, what do you call those, um, floating things, whatever they could find to make it float. And many mm-hmm. people uh, die because of the heat and the water escaping Cuba. And now people are dying trying yeah. to cross the border here. So, yeah. yeah. But there's so people, Nunez? Greg. Do you remember Anthony Nunez yeah, when Anthony he was on the show? Nunez. Yeah. So Anthony's, Anthony's mm-hmm. parents came here on a raft from Cuba. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, anyway. the story when he was yeah. telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's written a bunch of bills but for us, right too, now, mostly gun bills. Yeah. Greg, right now, mm-hmm. this government, this corrupt communist government here, they don't want Venezuelans to come in or Cubans to get political asylum. They're shipping them back. They're getting a hold of them and returning them back to Cuba or Venezuela so they can get persecuted. But they're allowing all the, uh, the Muslim radical uh, uh, terrorists or people from all over the world that they're not good. I mean, there are some good people coming in, but uh, the majority of them are are no good. They're yeah, but the good people America. would come in legally. The the good people could come in legally. That's not that's not well, really yeah, an issue. Well, yeah, and we would welcome there's them. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people and children. You know, they're they're kind of like mingled together because they're being paid by the United Nations and and George Soros. You know, yeah. and we know it. Uh, but uh, the lifestyle that I live. Uh, for 13 years of my life in Nicaragua, was very poor, mm-hmm. no food. Uh, the regimen of Somoza uh, was not too bad uh, for middle class. Well, we don't have middle class. We have poor or rich. Mm-hmm. For example, the United States will send tons of milk to Somoza to give out to the poor neighborhoods like mine. So the church, the Catholic church, will get a hold of uh, the milk or other items that they send 
And they will not give it to us. They give it to the nuns. They give it to the families, to the friends. But none of us got the milk. The only time we got some of the milk when it was hard as a rock on those boxes. And we had to cut it with a knife. And that was the pot of milk that we got from the church when it was all, all, all. And for us, it was like, oh, my God, we got milk, at least something. So we used to cut it with a knife and just eat chunks of it, and it was sticking our teeth. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, wow. So many times, Greg, we went so hungry that my sisters and I used to put a, a, a bunch of salt in our hands, and we just go into the around the trees. There are certain trees that we know. And we put a bunch of leaves in our mouth to just get the nutrient of the leaves. And we had have, we have green tea for hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was so wow. crazy. Yeah. Let me see if uh, like, yeah. some like – you... that's wild. I want to see if uh, Brianna or Pianchi has a question for you because, uh, you know, yeah, I know the story. Sure. Brianna, Pianchi, do you want to – do you have a question for Josie on her story or a comment? No, I know they uh... – the, the children have some rough times in, in Nicaragua looking at those clips uh, that was entitled uh, titled How uh, the Rough Journeys that Children Make to Go to School. And it's really some scary, some scary stuff. You know what's scary is that uh, that U.S. diplomat is, is either probably still a U.S. diplomat or retired on, on a fat pension. And I don't know if you ever followed up with that, Josie. You can comment or not on this, but uh, well, he shot himself in the head. No, he's oh, dead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, he had cancer and he couldn't handle it. So, yeah, but uh, uh, it, it was um, it was a big thing. And you know, the sad mm-hmm. part about my story is his wife had a boyfriend in the basement. She was <laughs> uh, having an affair with a black man. Yeah. He was, she was having an affair with a black man in the basement, and the three kids are on the second floor, and they pulled me upstairs with him, and she knew. And uh, it, was, it was very sad. And when you're a child, we, didn't, we, we really didn't know about sex at all. Yeah. And uh, I thought I was dreaming. So every day when he he come into my well, that's probably how you you know your mind when you can't you know accept something you, you find a way to to deal with when, it. anything that's this horrifying like that. But but you know when you're young, mm-hmm. twelve, eleven, twelve, whatever. I remember when I was you young. Have deep, you have big dreams. You cannot wake up. It's kind of weird. It's yeah. like you don't wake up as easy as right now. If, if my husband snore or cough or whatever, I was like. I jump right away. It's like I'm awake. But when you're a child, you have deep, deep uh, sleep. You don't wake up. So I thought I was dreaming, and I realized I was not, you know, with all the stuff going on. Uh, But uh, uh, do you know also this Mm -hmm. doesn't happen only uh, to poor people like me that just got here and brought brought here by a U.S. diplomatic. He had an office in the capital. my mother-in-law was molested by her dad and all the sisters, three sisters. And uh, he used to come at night, and the mom knew about it. And what is it? Play with how, the do women, how do women let this happen? Is it, are they dependent on the husband? Are they, is it the income? Is it they just don't want to know. know? How do people let they this don't kind of know. stuff happen? Okay. They don't want to know. 
because my nieces raped the little girl by her stepdad while my sister was up, uh, taking care of my mom at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the little girl told mom in, 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 you know, a few years later, not the same when it happened because she was afraid. She thought she she dreamed about it, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. And so she was raped by her stepdad. And when she told her mom at the age of 13, this happened when she was nine, mm-hmm. her mom said, you're just jealous of my of my boyfriend. And mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah. And it happens to a lot of children. And uh, I couldn't say anything uh, what happened to me. I was just crying alone. Uh, no one to hug me because I barely knew the, the children there. You know, I was new there. Uh, I just uh, cry uh, by myself, and uh, and it's kind of cool how your mom can feel you because like a month later, I was able to call my mom because back in those days, you didn't make a lot of long distance. It cost a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was able to talk to my mom, and my mom started crying. She says, are you Okay. And I got emotional a little bit, but I couldn't tell her the truth on the phone. But my mom was crying. She goes, I'm, I feel like something is happening to you. But I deny it. But she knew what was happening to me. But she wasn't sure. So she, my mom was full. She thought I was coming to live with my sister in Miami, but I did not. So mm. it's crazy. Did you yeah. get back to Nicaragua after, after, I guess, what establishing residency here? Did you ever get back there? Or no. I went and visited. Uh, I never told my mom the story until I was an older woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I went back to Nicaragua uh, in 73 on my way to go to Chile. You know, huh. I was traveling. So we went to Nicaragua, Panama, Ecuador, and then Chile to move there. That's when I lived the communist uh, life, witnessing so much and uh, food shortage uh, like we have right here. They were doing all this on purpose, the uh, communist government, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what they're doing here. Here they have burned about 160 manufacturing food plants so Americans go hungry. A lot of the chickens are being burned, cows being destroyed, everything, everything in America so Americans go, go hungry. And this is all well organized by Obama because Obama is following his father's dream because his father hated America, him and Nelson Mandela, that they wanted to see one day America all the way to the bottom. And that's exactly what uh, the agenda has been for a long time. Yeah. Well, he couldn't do it alone. And, uh, he couldn't, you know, and this no, is as much as not. I uh, despise Obama and all his policies, you know. I remember when people yeah. used to say, but he's black. This will be historic. I say, yeah, it's going to be historic, but not for the reasons you think. You know, and that, no. that, that fundamental transformation thing, you know, because I understand him because he, like, like you and me, have lived in different countries. And I don't believe that yeah. anybody, you know, who has, a, uh, you know, has a, a split growing up, like I would not want to be president. I am not, you know, my experience is different enough that, uh, you know, the America first, absolutely. America only. Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, I've got, to, I, I have natural mm-hmm. allegiances to other countries simply because I spent a lot of time there, have friends there, was raised there, and it's part of my life. So Canada, Australia, and the United States are always going to be part of my life, whether I go, you know, and I hope yeah. to go visit both of, of them course. again. Um, but it, for those reasons, there's a very good reason that you should only be a natural born president. 
You should not be mm-hmm. somewhere else. I, uh, for the same reason, I wouldn't want Arnold Schwarzenegger president because he's born in Austria. I wouldn't want uh, a bunch mm-hmm. of different people. Now, I'm not talking about military bases like McCain and things like that, but I'm talking about people who actually have other cultures, and especially Obama, who has a Muslim father who's a Muslim who pretends to be a Christian who wants to bring Muslim Marxist principles. And the Muslims and the Marxists have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. They're both authoritarian, mm-hmm. one politically and the other theologically. So they're very similar, and they get along. Claire Lopez used to talk about that. I'm going to try and get her back. I actually have been trying to get her back on the show. Um, but uh, we're still working on that. Yeah, she, she was a, a genius. You know what, yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. You know what? Uh, I'm reading this article where Kareem Jean-Pierre blasted for warning it may take a few days to count votes. Same thing that oh. Joe Biden said. Now, yep. this is just they're all saying it. the most ridiculous. What's the vote fraud? That, that's saying that, that, yes, that's, that's the vote fraud. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. I found an article. I was looking at one from a gateway pundit, which had an article of the, uh, the, the daily mail, the UK publication was talking about, it's going to be a delay. So I tried to find that article. I found exactly the same article written in 2020. So right after the November 5th of 2020, it's in our international news uh, group, actually radio international news page. It says exactly the same thing. It well, it's going to take a, it's going to take a couple of weeks until we can arrange all the vote fraud. You know, and they said, they said the battleground state. That's why, that's yep. why my bills for having separate federal and local uh-huh. and state ballots uh, uh-huh. has to be because these states going to do this crazy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Those, well, you know, like we say, those ballots should get be Peter Navarro, counted the same yeah. day, counted where it cast. What if we had a deadline for counting of midnight on Election Day? that all votes had to be reported by midnight. Anything after that is suspect. Well, usually it's the same day. It's always been the same day. That you well, that's know what I'm saying. The, we knew, who, we knew Trump was president. Yeah. yeah, we knew Trump was president by 10 o'clock. And then, of course, everything shut down You know, after midnight. We had the 2 o'clock uh, vote drops. Yeah. You know, so can we... People well, here's the thing. For the early voting, they can count the early votes early, as mm-hmm. long as they don't release the results. They should never have mail-in voting. Uh, and uh, we even have in Santa Rosa County here, we have this DS200 machine. It can be hooked up to the Internet. And I've been, I've been trying to raise a, a whole bunch of fuss with all our, our uh, you know, county uh, web pages, uh, Facebook pages here, that we've got, a, we've got an electronic machine. That's why I voted early, but I voted at the county office, so there's nothing to transfer. It was right there. I don't trust modem-based, you know, well, or even for the not- potential for a modem. In a voting machine. I don't like voting well, machines. Even Wi-Fi, any kind of connection to the Internet should be illegal. Should be. Yeah. You know, Nancy Pelosi was saying to scare all the folks, she says, uh, I think you need to vote by mail because things could be rough at the uh, voting poll, you know, the voting uh, place. That's because they don't have COVID so anymore. Like scare, and why would you vote by mail <laughs> with, with Democrat might, union workers in the post like offices? <laughs> Yeah, no, I say the, the whole problem with voting by mail, especially for conservatives and Republicans, is that most of the postal workers are Democrat union members. You can't, you can't trust the post yeah. office, besides and the you, chain of custody violation. And here's the thing about this here. What in the hell has Joe Biden got anything to do with how states carry out their voting system? Why Good is question. she making this statement? She has no control. The, the White House has no control over these states and their voting system. Mm-hmm. So how is he saying it's going to take a few days? What's going on? Well, yeah. vote fraud. <laughs> this <laughs> is what I'm saying. I don't know what's going to Let's get Brianna. She's still on the line here. Brianna, what do you think about this? Do you think there's going to be massive vote fraud like 2020 when you were really young? I'm unmuted. Um, unmute. 
I Go really ahead. hope not. You know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Um, but I think it's really possible with the corruption that we have seen and all the cases of voter fraud in the past and with all the excuses now, I think it's a very realistic event that can take place. I just really hope that it doesn't. Yeah. See, I think the Democrats have it covered both ways. One, they can vote fraud and cheat and keep one of the houses of, of Congress as Democrat. Or two, the Republicans are so cowardly and wimpy and, and babies that they put Kevin McCarthy in, who's basically a, a deep state Democrat. Um, they call him rhinos, but I use the term transgender Democrat. Um, but they, they're so weak. He's already surrendered. He's already said no investigations. He's already said no impeachment. He said all kinds of things that uh, I don't think I think the Democrats win either way. They win whether the Republicans win or not. And we lose either way. That's what it looks to me. Panel? We'll see what happens, you know. Oh. I don't know. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Greg, the election in Brazil, I believe with all my heart that Donald Trump was using Space Force to track all the fraud in Brazil. And it's going to come out to arrest all the ones involved, and they're going to start with Brazil, and then they're going to start. They're going to continue here. There was a rumor too that uh, yeah, there was a rumor that uh, Trump was going to announce for for president. I mean, he doesn't have to announce. Everybody knows he's running. (laughs) I don't see what the what the big surprise. Well, he's going to run. He's going to announce it on the 14th. Yeah, from Mar-a-Lago. He's going to announce to the whole world that he's going to be running for president. Or I hey. don't know what he's going to announce. <laughs> hey, listen, can I ask you again to, to see if you can contact the president of El Salvador? Uh, I'd love to get him on the show. Because yeah, that's like the. Just, uh, yeah. We must have a consulate I'll here ask. somewhere. I bet you we got a consulate somewhere in Florida. Uh, or something we have one in Washington. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious because that seems to be the, the freest country in, in Central America right now. Uh, the most conservative, yeah. the most, you know, now that Brazil has, has uh, temporarily fallen to the Marxists. Uh, it'd be great to, to my my belief is, and Brianna, we get you to mutual line again. Um, my until you, once you're talking, it actually covers it up better. But my contention is is that freedom, any country can have prosperity. All you need is freedom. If you have a free market, if you have an open market, if you have open competition, if the government isn't screwing around and regulating every aspect of the economy, if the government isn't imposing inflation on everybody, yes, that's what I said. The government imposed inflation. Okay, all inflation is caused by government by increasing the money supply. Uh, in other words, the amount of dollars in circulation. And so El Salvador seems to be doing it right. And I'm wondering, I'd love to yeah. have that as a model. Uh, in fact, I'd love to get, uh, well, my, my earlier idea was that Trump should go visit El Salvador, bring in billions of dollars of investment, and show that freedom can work anywhere. This does have to work here. My, my husband's idea, he was talking the other day, he says, why don't we just take over all the Latin America and Central America, and that way they don't have to come here all the, illegally. They'll be part of the United States, and we'll just run the whole country. Oh, just make a state of Honduras? <laughs> oh, great. You know, no, Mexico just, would love that. Use America to own, to own or, or be in charge of all the Central America countries and in South America. Everybody wants to come here, or especially Central America. We're so make the whole thing American? And, okay. So Washington yeah. runs the so both continents? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. How about Canada? I don't know. The same, I guess. But <laughs> I think I think once I think once Canada gets rid of that crooked uh, Castro Jr. 
when they get rid of Castro Jr., Canada is going to go back to the way it was so beautiful. Yeah. Have you have you watched Canadian politics at all? In fact, I have a uh, a friend of mine. Remember when no. uh, uh, Jen Clark, there's two Jen Clarks, there's one in Australia and there's one in Ottawa, Canada. Remember when Jen Clark was on the show? Mm-hmm. She was reporting from the Freedom yeah. Truckers, and she got, she got quite upset on our show. Uh, her country was being, my country too, uh, yeah. as well as, well, my, my original country, uh, was being completely sabotaged by, country. you know, Castro Jr. And, and so uh-huh. I'm trying to get her back on to report on what's going <laughs> I on now. It. Well, I, I, th- I think you're right. You know, I think, you, I think you're on to something yes. here. So, so it, it, you know what? And a lot of other people are calling him Castro Jr. also, which is fascinating. I think yeah. uh, even Tucker Carlson did, you know, Castro's kid. Tucker's you know, running Castro Jr. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So so anyway, so Castro Jr. But what's interesting is there's a there's a Canadian politician Peter Polivar, I forgot his name. He's like French Canadian, uh-huh. uh, really interesting guy, uh, and uh, and quite conservative. And he might be the next Prime Minister of Canada. I'd like to get him on the show as well, but uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, Canada's going to go through some changes. Uh, he's like Trump, you know, this guy Peter Polivar, just like Bolsonaro in in Brazil. Uh, they're they're trying. The government's trying. The world government's trying to weed out all the leaders. Anybody that shows any kind of independence, mm-hmm. and with them, all the people that support them. You know, that's why they come after us. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. They're, they're, so. In Canada, they're trying to kill all the old folks with meds so they can take all their properties. That's what they're doing right now in Canada. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's bad. Hey, Greg, yeah, I go back and see you. God yep. bless. To go earn my living, I have to continue getting ready here. So God you bless like you. Thank you for sharing. I sound like Bill. He said, I have to go earn my dollar. Earn my dollar, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, your story's uh, amazing, yeah. and uh, thanks for letting me read your story. I appreciate that. Yes, you did a good job. And watch out, for those, watch out for those white things on the telephone pole. Watch out. Yeah, what are they? Do you know? There are white things out there? What are we talking about? All of a sudden, they're right there at the corner right by my store. I posted it on Facebook if anybody knows what those are. I'll text it to you if you haven't seen it. Do you know, Bianchi, what they are? No, it look like they're monitoring you or either trying to shoot you with some uh, pulse rays. Chemicals. I don't know what they are. but Could I it be 5G? People, Could it be so hidden 5G continue. towers maybe? Are they hiding 5Gs in the in the power lines? I don't know, but it's, it's odd. I've never seen them before, and all of a sudden they showed up. I'm like, what is this? Huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I'll send you a picture of it soon. So I'll, I'll look you up your Facebook page on my on my phone because yeah. I'm like tying up the computer memory. Apparently, my oh. signal my and signal goes bad. By the way, dead. even though even though Elon Musk is on in uh, Twitter, they uh, it says your account is permanently suspended. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong. I didn't do anything. On Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. I That's posted weird. it in one of your messages on Facebook so you can see it. I'm like, what in the world is this? I didn't do anything at all that I know of, you know. So I, it's weird. So they suspended me permanently. So I complained. I said, can you communist people show me what I did wrong? <laughs> I, think you re- I think you're reading it wrong because I've, I've seen what? it too. I think it applies to something else. I think it applies to someone who was making comment on on Eon because I've no. been I re- no. I've seen it and I've been posting all day long on Twitter. Yeah, but I cannot yeah. comment. I cannot post nothing. They're not allowing me. I can only read things, but I cannot post nothing. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I so they're working on it. They said they'll get back to me, and they're going to check and investigate. Yeah. Well, what you need to do is post, no. like I did, a, a black leftist article that uh, white people are, are killing freedom for everybody else and keeping it for, for ourselves. <laughs> That's yeah. what we're going to get to next. Yeah. yeah. Let me play a couple I things here. Picture, I sent you the picture. Did you get it, Greg? About uh, the, let me take I, I just the, looked at your Facebook page, too. Let me, let me hop on my phone here. Like oh. I, said, I, I use my phone now for a lot of stuff um, simply because... Uh, hang on, wait a minute. Let me see. I've got, uh, I've got, uh, still got the Stu Peter show here. Um, I don't have the other, anything else. Okay. That's okay. We'll worry about later. We're taking up your time here. <laughs> All right. Brianna's still here too. I'll so let you get go. I got to go. This as well. God bless. Okay. God bless you too, Josie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Be careful. Bye-bye. Right. I'll play a couple things and be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. It's morning and you are a proud black man. You go to the mirror. You are reminded of Governor Northrop of Virginia and Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada, both of whom appeared in blackface. And there you are. You just put on your shaving cream. And what do you see? Whiteface. It's bad enough that leftist aspiring dictators are choosing to go in blackface, but you, proud black man, have no choice but to appear in whiteface every morning you shave. Now, direct from Pianchi Laboratories, comes a great new product made especially for you, proud black man, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream. Yes, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream will give you your blackface back during your morning shave. For Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream is the first ever black shaving cream. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream comes in three shades. Dark, darker, and darkest. So now, proud black man, you have a choice. 
You can stay in whiteface every morning, or you can join black men everywhere and choose Pianchi's picture-perfect face-saving shaving cream every morning. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, let's have a little fun here. Uh, Brianna, which one was the joke commercial? (laughs) Are you still there? And when did you first notice that I was being sarcastic? You there? Can you unmute? Maybe you can't unmute. All right. That was a little joke I was playing. Um, Brianna and I were talking earlier about some of the uh, political satire that I do here. And we talk a lot about race on this show um, because it's such a dominant topic. And we're trying to, to, you know, spell these things out very clearly and and show that this is really government stuff. This is a Marxist class warfare uh, using race. And so that's why I make things like this. This is why I talk about it. This is why I joke about things. You know, I have another one on uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and the January white sale um, selling white people. I mean, it's hysterical. <laughs> it makes fun of white liberals. But ridicule is the way that you get, um, the, you overcome a mass psychosis. So we have a mass psychosis. People are terrified of talking about race. You know, as Pianchi says, and rightly so, you know, white people, you know, you say the word racism and they just cower and, 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 and you know, melt away. Um, also, the, uh, Dr. Walter Williams, when he, he was on the show, this was my first guest. It was great. It was my first big interview. Anyway, we didn't talk about that. We talked about everything else, economics, action radio, citizen legislation, uh, history, all kinds of things. But uh, he used to have an absolution. And so he had, he had a little contract, which I have. I actually have a copy of uh, Dr. Walter Williams' absolution for white people to stop feeling guilty. Well, I never did feel guilty. I'm new here in this country. You know, I'm an off-the-boat immigrant. I didn't oppress anybody. You know, no extended family, no long history, no nothing. So, uh, you know, if anything, I was oppressed by being a, an immigrant and not having an immigrant group to help support me since I was a, I was a white guy and looked like, uh, you know, the white privilege thing. So it's quite fascinating. So that's why we talk about these issues. But uh, I have no problem making fun of them either, which is why I did it. So, Brianna, if you can hop back on the line, <laughs> if you're listening to that, I'd be really curious. Uh, if you know, at what point you noticed that maybe I was just having a little bit of fun. All right. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing. Yes, so um, I'm yes. here, but my parents uh-huh. are talking on the phone right now. So there's right. going to be some background noise. So I'll probably mute, mute for a couple minutes. Okay. Is that your mom? Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, hey, welcome to Action Radio, Brianna's mom. She can't hear you, sorry. Oh, okay. I thought I heard background noise. Okay. Did you, did you get our, our, our piece on uh, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream? Then they should have looked at you, and they should have looked at somebody else. Yes. Oh, it's the radio you're listening to. Okay. Say what? Let me, put yourself back on mute. It's a little hard to hear. you got to, you got background and uh, radio and things like that. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah, talk to you about it next week. <laughs> go ahead and mute. 
Uh, well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's live radio. We'll figure it out. So what started something interesting, and this is over the weekend, and I noticed that uh, some comment, it was a comment on one of the news shows last week that Twitter had fired their, their human rights team. Well, that's interesting. Why, why would they do that? Why would uh, Elon Musk, and, and what exactly is the human rights team? So I started looking around, and I found something MSN with the butterfly. I don't know if that's mainstream news or what it is, or maybe it's its own particular news thing, but they're kind of, you know, middle of the road leftists, whatever they are. I found this article. Uh, it's by Laurie Seitz, S-E-I-T-Z, and Ross A. Lincoln, and it's from Friday. And it says, Twitter's now former human rights lawyer said that as part of the drastic job cuts order by Elon Musk, the company has shut down the entire human rights department and laid off the team. Yesterday was my last day at Twitter. The entire human rights team has been cut from the company. And that's Shannon Raj Singh. Now, my first question, Pianki, uh, let's get you back in here. Did any Americans, particularly any white Americans, particularly any white males, work at Twitter other than Jack Dorsey? I've never seen one. In all the ads, all the ads, all the, all the <laughs> interviews. Hard to say, probably uh, foreigners. Yeah. Now, why do you think they do that? You know, I'm so sick and tired. Of this. I even read something about Whoopi Goldberg is canceling her. Twitter account because the way Elon Musk is running the business. That's not a her damn business. He <laughs> runs his business how he wants. Well, she can cancel it all. She can cancel her account. But the, but the she was supposed knows. to lead the country when Trump got elected. You mean? I mean, what happened? She missed. She missed the plane. Or missed the train. Or what? <laughs> is her passport current? I mean, these are the things we think about, right? Um, you know, I mean, how many folks threaten to leave? And if the left does it, then they don't do it. But what I find fascinating about Twitter, uh, and this is why I was asking the question, is that this seems to me a decidedly un-American company. And if you hire un-Americans as opposed to Americans, you're going to get a bunch of people that aren't used to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, freedom, you know, and the things that we all love dearly, you know, free speech, the freedom of religion, you know, the right to arm ourselves and, and all these other things, due process, you know, all the stuff, uh, states' rights, the Tenth Amendment, things like that, things that we... Uh, we, we try to force our government to do, which it's supposed to do, but we still, deep in our hearts, we believe them. We believe in these principles. We believe in the Bill of Rights. We believe in our Constitution. We believe in a limited government and a republic. And so the best way to oppress free speech is to get a bunch of people who don't believe in free speech, who don't believe in, in, uh, uh, in the Bill of Rights, who don't believe, you know, that, um, you know, the, who have no problem with limiting free speech, you know, for what they consider the greater good, the public interest. They're in charge. They've been told that they should moderate speech. And when you see the woman that canceled Donald Trump and you look at her, it's the most arrogant. She's just nothing special. She's had no great distinguished career. She's done nothing magical in her life to promote her to some great vault position in society. But she canceled Donald Trump because she decided to. Now, how does how does one person, how does an employee of a company cancel the president of the United States? What kind of arrogance does it take to do that? You've got to hate the country you're working in but you love taking the benefits. That, to me, is one messed up company. Piaki? Well, you're right. You, you're absolutely right. Then, when the news reported, it make it sound like the whole entire com- company done it. No, it's just this one overzealous person that probably was behind it. Well, did you know they had a human rights team? I didn't. Well, I heard about it, yes. And I would imagine okay. that they... I imagine that they, you know, Facebook say that they got people that's uh, astute in many language translations. So if you uh, make a comment that's 
<laughs> you know, the funny thing about this, if you make a racial comment in your own language, well, they going to still count you. Well, hell, I don't know what they're saying, so how does it bother me? <laughs> well, that's what happened to me. Remember when I, I had this – is, this is hysterical. I still got the article on Facebook. They, they, they left it there, you know, and they, they canceled me. They said, I've, I've done something which goes against community standards, and I appealed. I said, take a look at this again, you know, because it was a leftist black publication, you know, asking the question, is freedom white? And we're going to get to it this hour. If we don't get to this hour, I'll get to it tomorrow. Um, because I find this uh, entirely fascinating. Yeah. And what but community? It, it, mm-hmm. What community, Greg? What community are they talking about? In the community that I know, people call each other the N-word all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's my question. If black lives matter, do white lives not matter? Let's put that in an article in, in, the, in this publication. <laughs> That'd be an interesting question. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I mean, I, I mean you're right on. It's, it's fascinating. I actually, Let me give you this. Um, okay, I'm Brianna, back. yeah. Um, oh, good. But I actually saw something on that. I don't remember who did it, but somebody was going around and they're asking people, um, like if Black Lives Matter, and then they ask if White Lives Matter, and people mm. say like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, and when they ask White Lives Matter, people literally said no. <gasps> really? They literally I need said to... no. Oh my God, that's amazing! I need you to speak just a little bit louder because your your phone. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna talk to your folks. <laughs> well, through you right now. We need to get you a microphone when you're when you're home and can broadcast. I think it'll be uh, better than the, than the phone for whatever reason. The reception uh, is the way it is. We'll work on that. But yeah, what do you remember? What it, what context that was? What they said? White lives don't matter. That's fascinating. That's racism. That's, yeah, that's, I can that's probably try terrorism. to find the video. Okay. Play it. I'd love to post it. So. <laughs> White lives don't matter. That is and, fascinating. Well, go ahead. And, like, with what you were it, talking about, I mean, one of the very big things is, like, the dangers of compromise, silence, and conformity. And mm-hmm. I think with that, you've, you've really seen what's happened with those. Because danger is a really, like, a really powerful word in this sense. And these mm-hmm. things don't seem like big deals. But, I mean, they're really showing through in these past few years. And I think... It also goes along with the value of an idea, kind of like we were saying earlier between um, what's an idea and a thought and if you're too scared to actually say something. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that commercial and I made up. can go a long you know. way yeah, well, look at the, I made this up with Pianchi because Pianchi one day was talking about Governor Northam uh, of Virginia who went in blackface. And, and he's like, you know, and he says to me, I was on the floor laughing. He says, I have to go on white face every morning. I had to put on that white shaving cream. I'm just dying laughing. But this is how we talk here. You know, we're very open about this kind of stuff. And that's when I came up with this idea for, for a, 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 satir- a satirical commercial, you know, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, which took me about 20 minutes to be able to practice and actually say that there. But what do you think is going to happen when we, we have a million listeners and all of a sudden Black Lives Matter here is, you know, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, the first black shaving cream cream that comes in dark, darker, and darkest, that's not politically correct, <laughs> according to the, the powers that be. And yet here we are saying it. Does the world stop turning? No, because it's funny. Yeah. You might hear a little bit of noise, so I'm going to mute myself for a couple minutes. Okay. Well, well, keep joining in because I like having you on the show. So you're always welcome to uh, to put in a comment. But yeah, uh, but the muting does help uh, that for for whenever there is background noise. But that's you know. So I'd, I'd rather have you here and then have you just mute when you need to um, than not have you here. So that's that's good. Let me read you a quote, uh, Pianki and everybody else listening too. This is from Shannon, which is an Irish name. So we got Shannon Raj Singh. <laughs> We've got a Sikh with an Irish first name. 
<laughs> I, now that's, that's diversity for you right there. Anyway, he says, I'm enormously proud of the work we did to implement the UN guiding principles on business and human rights to protect those at risk in global communities, global conflicts and crises, including Ethiopia, Afghanistan, and Ukraine, and to defend the needs of those particularly at risk of human rights abuse by virtue of their social media presence, such as journalists and human rights defenders. At, you know, and that's it. So I'm thinking, oh, that's the end of the quote. All right. Um, so think about that. The UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Um, Brianna, if you're still, if you can hop back on the line here, what do you think of, what, what are human rights? Have you talked about that at all? all right, let me ask, she's probably busy. Let me ask Pianchi. What are human Sorry. rights? Yeah, okay. No, no, worry, but no. I listen. It's a, it's, um, a, it's a complicated morning. What are human rights? So I haven't exactly done much like definitioning. I guess is the word I could use mm-hmm. on this. But if I was to describe it, it'd be more of like inalienable rights. You know, God-given rights that people inherently have. Mm. Okay, Piaki. That's a good answer. It is a good answer. It's wrong, <laughs> but it's a great answer. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, in fact, this is um, what uh, Jen Clark and I in Australia spent a lot of time on because Australia in uh, – uh, got to mute yourself again, Brianna. Uh, just like I say, unmute as soon as you want to comment. Um, but uh, what we, we spent a lot of time talking about the difference between individual rights and human rights. Human rights are – first of all, it comes from the U.N., so you know it's globalist world government. That's the first problem. Second problem is human rights apply to everybody as a group because we're all human. Therefore, citizens of Madagascar, Thailand, New Zealand, and Iceland have all the same rights to, as Americans do in America because they're human rights. There are no borders. There are no boundaries to human rights because we're all human. So if you have property and somebody in Madagascar doesn't have property, they have a right to your property because we all have the same rights because we're all equal. We have to be made equitable under the UN guiding principles and business practices of human read group rights. So we're going to go over these in just a little bit. I've I've sort of kind of worked this out in my head. Now, what do you think of of human rights? Brianna, if you want to hop back on. I think that's a really good point of of human rights because, you know, it also brings up the point, like, if Mm -hmm. somebody, like, goes to jail or prison, I guess, for murdering somebody, they kind of lose that right to bear arms while they're in prison, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So it can't necessarily be like those same as inalienable rights. Um, well, what is inalienable or unalienable? So, what does so, that mean? Um, life, liberty, and property. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is like the pursuit of happiness. But the word, and, the word like, unalienable, if a right is unalienable, what does that mean? It basically means it can't be given or taken away by any government. Right. Like it's directly from God. Like you cannot be alienated. Yeah. You cannot be alienated from your rights. So it's yours. You're, it's yours because you're, birth, you're born. Now, in that respect, and this is where the UN gets really tricky, because as a human being, you are born as an individual with individual rights that are unalienable. But don't confuse those with human rights in terms of the global community, the world government, and the United Nations. And this is the whole reason I wanted to do this this show today, to point this out. I just happen to have, in my next little window here, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from the UN, one of the most dangerous documents ever produced anywhere in the world. I think it was 1947 or something like that. So let me get to the preamble. And uh, I need to mute yourself again, Brianna. 
And uh, Dari, we're just don't mind me saying it. Can you mute me? Sorry, so fast. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, we'll we'll figure out the background noise thing. Here's the preamble to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable, not inalienable, but inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Whereas disregard and contempt for human rights have resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind and the advent of a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Get that one. Okay. Meet yourself, Brianna. We're still getting the noise. There we go. Okay, good. And belief in freedom from fear and want. Had, let, me, let me start that sentence again. This is really critical. Whereas disregard and contempt for human rights have resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind and the advent of a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear and want has been proclaimed as the highest aspiration of the common people. Whereas it is essential if man is not to be compelled to have recourse as a last resort to rebellion against tyranny and oppression, that human rights should be protected by the rule of law. Whereas it is essential to promote the development of friendly relations between nations. Whereas the peoples of the United Nations have in the charter reaffirmed their faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, and in the equal rights of men and women, and have determined to promote social progress and better standards of life in larger freedom, almost done, whereas member states have pledged themselves to achieve in cooperation with the United Nations the promotion of universal respect for and observance of human rights and fundamental freedoms, whereas a common understanding of these rights and freedoms is of the greatest importance for the full realization of this pledge. Now, therefore, the General Assembly proclaims this universal declaration of human rights as a common standard of achievement for all peoples and all nations, to the end that every individual and every organ of society keeping this declaration constantly in mind shall strive by teaching and education to promote respect for these rights and freedoms and by progressive measures, get that, progressive measures, national and international, to secure their universal and effective recognition and observance both among the peoples of member states themselves and among the peoples of territories under their jurisdiction. That's your preamble. Comments? Brianna, feel free to unmute. Does that sound like... Um... I don't care for it. I don't <laughs> care for the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. But and Twitter, just Twitter does. Twitter was operating under this. Get a little bit deeper into it. Where a child, a child uh, has the rights and don't have to adhere to the directions of the parents. Right, because everybody's equal, right? There are no parents and children. They're just equal people. What about uh, this part here where it says uh, a world in which we shall, human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear? Well, how do you get freedom from fear? And how do you get a world that has proclaimed that's the highest, uh, you know, uh, let's go to freedom, freedom from fear and want. What is want? So in other words, freedom to them means freedom from fear and freedom that you have, freedom to have everything you want. Otherwise, you're going to want. Is that freedom? Or is that tyranny? The imagine there's no property. Fear and want. Go ahead, Brianna. The only freedom from fear and want is Jesus. There you go. And that's not think about that. (laughs) But this is for governments, though. This is for member states, which used to be called nations, because there's only the United Nations. So how so how does the government prevent give you freedom from fear and want? How does the government do that? 
they can't. They don't have that ability. Well, they can take, uh, as Marx said, remember Marx's quote, from each according to their means to each according to their needs. In other words, what you have goes to whatever somebody else needs. So they don't want. This is right out of Karl Marx. Human rights should be protected by the rule of law. I have never liked the expression, the rule of law. We are not a country under the rule of law. We are a country, we the people, determining our destiny, self-governing. We determine what laws we consent to be governed by. That's the whole basis of Action Radio. Pianki, the rule of law. Do you want to be ruled by law? Or do we use laws to protect our liberty? Yeah, a rule of law can be construed with an authority or like a police officer. Police mm-hmm. officers say you, you can't go in there and buy no big gulp, and then they're going to lock you up or beat you. Yeah, because the law rules. What about when the law is wrong? Brianna, do you believe in the rule of law? This is like kind of the idea of this like book that I had just recently gotten by Dan Fisher. It's called uh-huh. Unlimited Submission. And it's basically the idea that we have a right to fight back against those unjust laws and everything else because unlimited submission to a government or, in this case, a rule of law is not right. It's not good. It's bad, and, and it causes so many pro- more problems. I mean, that's why they had an entire revolution, because mm-hmm. they knew that even though they were supposed to follow the law and the guidelines and stuff, that what they were going to be following was tyranny, and they knew that that was wrong. And they knew it infringed on their inalienable rights. And they knew that they had to fight back against that. It was their duty. And I think I have a, a quote here from okay. some of these people. Yeah, I pull it up. Um, you want to have equal application of the law. The law applied, whatever the law, it applies to you the same as it applies to me or to the other person. Yeah, Pastor Samuel West of 1776 said, It will appear that we are in the way of our duty in opposing the tyranny of Great Britain, for if unlimited submission is not due to any human power, if we have an undoubted right to oppose and resist a set of tyrants that are subverting our just rights and privileges, there cannot remain a doubt in any man that will calmly attend to reason, whether we have a right to resist and oppose the arbitrary measures of the king and parliament. They are robbing us of the inalienable rights that God, that the God of nature has given us as men and rational beings and has confirmed to us in his written words as Christians. And then another like, quote from Pastor Abraham Cateltus of 1777 says that liberty is the parent of truth, justice, virtue, patriotism, benevolence, and every generous and noble purpose of the soul. And so in order to, you can't have this rule of law that you have to obey in order to have any of these rights and stuff if it's corrupt, if it's wrong, if it's infringing on your basic, your basic um, inalienable rights of life. Because that's completely defeats the purpose of them trying to institute a human right in the first place. So it kind of voids out everything else that they are stating in there if they decide that everything needs to be under this rule of law. Because rule of law subjective to which system you are under. And it's a universal one. And there is no universal government other than God. And a lot of people... Well, they're trying behavior. to make one. This, and this is an interesting point. Can, well, so let me ask you a question then. Can you have freedom without God? 
No, but that's that would be my point of view on it. Is that no, you cannot have any freedom without God. So a lot of See, people that's think a fascinating point. In that so if you separate church and state the way the left wants to separate church and state, then there is no God, and therefore there is no freedom. And it, and and with that. I think there's also like the limitations of like the freedom that God has put in place. Like God mm-hmm. instituted the first government with the Noahide laws and then the Ten Commandments and stuff. So even He doesn't grant you unlimited freedoms of anarchy to do whatever you want. He still has mm-hmm. a case on what's wrong and what's right and what you what you should and should not do. Remember we talked about that earlier that you cannot have true freedom without certain laws that protect you as an individual and, and protect your property. Those are just the basics. Yeah, as long as you have those, I mean, then, then you cannot have freedom without them, really. Yeah, exactly. Because you're always defending yourself and, and defending your stuff. That's anarchy. And then the other, the other the, the spectrum is totalitarianism, where nobody has freedom except the, the people at the top. And you can't defend yourself because the government's oppressing you. So there's only one point between anarchy and totalitarianism where you have just enough laws to protect yourself, your family, and your property and just enough laws to, to, so that you can operate freely as a good person, but not so many laws that the government's controlling every aspect of your life. That point, that one point between anarchy and, and tyranny and totalitarianism is called liberty in terms of a society. It's called freedom for the individual, but the, the point of liberty, and we were tried on this, we actually graphed it out, that the point of liberty uh, for, for a country or for a society or a culture or anything is the point at which you have the minimum laws necessary to protect yourself uh, to protect life and property. Anything beyond that starts to slope down to tyranny. Anything less than that takes the slope down to anarchy. And that's how we define it in the Australian Bill of Rights. Yes, and I think the the point that we're making, I think it can correlate to the actual elections that are going on today because there mm-hmm. you have to look at the freedoms and stuff and you have to look at the the principles, the values of the freedoms that you want to keep and hold whenever you go to elect somebody. And, and one of the most powerful things that my dad has told me in voting is if you don't know where somebody stands, and it's more like if you can't find any information on where somebody stands on important, valuable topics, mm-hmm. do not vote for them. Because if you don't know what they stand for, you don't know what all they're going to do against your state. And you have to be very careful about Because one of our... our our abilities in the United States of America is we are able to go out and vote for the representatives who are supposed mm-hmm. to protect our freedoms. And if they don't hold those values of protecting our freedoms, they're going to infringe on them. And so we have this, this duty in order to go and vote in order to protect ourselves. It's, it's one of those protections that we have to do. And but we yeah, have to do it in the uh, right way. Yeah, I've long said we put too much we, emphasis we on getting everybody corrupt. to vote. Yeah, because if people don't know how to vote, don't vote. Stay home. Just because you have a right to vote doesn't there's mean you another, have to exercise it. Yeah, go ahead. There's another quote about this. Like, uh-huh. like whenever you're voting and doing it in the right way, this quote is more of um, – it's not directly related to this, but I think it correlates really well to this. And it says, peace, peace, we ardently wish, but not upon terms dishonorable to ourselves or dangerous to our liberties. And it's by Pastor Samuel Cooper of 1780. And mm-hmm. it, it's the idea that we all want peace. We all want goodness and, and just things, right? 
but we can't do it corruptly. We have to do it the right way. And we don't want to get it, we don't want it to get so far where it's so corrupt like it is today. And so we have to do everything we can to fight to fix it the just way because if we let it go on enough, it's going to be a lot more turmoil in the way that we try and go about fixing it. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to come back to our topic. I was going to do the declaration. I think I'll do the declaration of human rights tomorrow and go through it bit by bit. And I really think people should understand how dangerous this document is. And, and most nations, when they think of, of rights, that's where they go for the United Nations Declaration, thinking that's, uh, that's going to empower the individual. When it is just, just the opposite, empowers the world government. So I found something interesting when I found that um, Twitter had uh, gotten rid of the human rights team. I went to the UN and I discovered the declaration again, read it, and took a look at all that. And then it, it, it occurred to me that, as I was talking about earlier, you know, are there any Americans or white Americans or white male Americans working at Twitter, people that believe in the most in freedom? And it's my contention, if you look at world history, who believes the most in freedom? British white men. <laughs> That's where it started, Magna Carta. Magna Carta, you know, a thousand years ago. And so for all those people that say that, uh, you know, there's freedom in other countries, well, it didn't happen in Africa. Africa had slavery. It didn't happen in Asia. They had warlords, feudalism, samurais, and uh, oppression of dynasties for, for 7,000 years. It didn't happen in Australia because there weren't anybody there. I mean, they had the Aboriginal culture. Uh, I shouldn't say weren't anybody there. That's not accurate. But and in a lot of places in the world, uh, the indigenous peoples of Africa, of Australia, of, of uh, South America, Central America, you know, have, there's no big push for freedom there. No big push for freedom in most of Europe. Certainly not in Russia or China. You know, Russia had, had czars for, for, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of years. Um, but, you've, but freedom really only came about in, in a few places. France tried it, but they screwed up. Egalité, liberté, fraternité, the French Revolution, was a totalitarian regime. They totally missed the whole idea of freedom. So the only real place it came from was British white guys. So that led to a question, you know, I started looking at this. And then these other articles started popping up because, you know, um, when you do a Google search, weird things happen. <laughs> and so I found this article from NPR. And this isn't the good one. I'll get to the good one. I'll say, I'm kind of saving that a little bit. This is K-U-O-W. I guess that's K-Wow, you know, NPR. And this is written, uh, and he's got a picture of the Statue of Liberty. That's nice. Written July 9th, 2021 by John O'Brien. Oh, sure, he's an Irishman. He says, we Americans value freedom. We point to the birth of our democratic republic. Let me stop right there. Are we a democratic republic? <laughs> All right. No, we're a this constitutional guy. republic. Well, actually, I even think that's redundant. I would just say we're a republic because does not a republic, by, by definition, mean that you have to have a constitution to limit the government? It seems to me you cannot have a republic without a constitution. Yes, but we have our representatives elected by the people. So I think it's really important to have the full term in there, not just republic. But that's part of a republic, too. I mean, Rome was a republic. They had, uh, they had elections. There's nothing that's that a republic. A republic without elections would not be a republic either, any more than a republic without a constitution would be a republic. Okay, I it's like, Okay. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. Go ahead, disagree. It's okay. You know, I, I encourage that heavily. So, so feel free to argue with me. Uh, you know, and this is how we both learn. So believe me, I'm, I'm looking to you for insights as well. Um, but I don't see that. I see that a republic, by definition, has a constitution, has limited government, has rights as defined, uh, and has uh, representatives that are elected by the people. That is what constitutes a republic. Now, democracy is totally different. Democracy is ruled by everybody, which have no representatives. 
If you're a true democracy, you don't have any representatives because every vote's taken by all the people, majority rules. You have no rights either because majority rules. You know, you have no trials because you have lynch mobs because majority, majority rules is mob rule. So democracy is the quickest way to, to tyranny because all you have to do is tell the people that they can have uh, – you tell the, the poor and middle class folks they can vote themselves the rich people's money. And then you have there's communism. There's actually a quote by one of the – there's actually a quote by one of the founding fathers. I mean, yeah, I Ben Franklin. That's where right I took it from. It was, it was Ben Franklin. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. You, you got it. You're right. About democracy. It was like democracy is the most dangerous way to tyranny. Yeah. Exactly no, he would have said, said that because the, they knew the it back 200 despised, years ago. Yeah, no, the founders, the founders despised democracy, so they wouldn't have said that. But what they said was the republic will only survive or the constitution can only survive until the people realize uh, that they, the, the, the 51% of the people realize they can borrow, they can vote themselves the top 49%'s income. That's how it works. And it's not the exact quote, but it's, it's close enough for now. We can look it up, but yeah. So anyway, so the first line, I've already got a problem with this article. Well, it's NPR. It's socialist radio. Yeah, go ahead. One of the other things, like, along with what you were saying about that is mm-hmm. about the government working, is a lot of founding fathers knew that you had to have morality in the Bible taught in school. Because, mm-hmm. like, they, in the actual state constitution, you had to teach religion, morality, and education, or religion, morality, and knowledge, I think, was the order that they put them in, like, in that order. And they mm-hmm. said that without... God and, and without that religion, that the Constitution it is basically void without that backbone of patriotism. I guess is how you would say it, because I think that the religion and patriotism are supposed to go hand in hand. Now a lot of times pastors have gone soft and gone away from that, but mm-hmm. because if you don't have morals and you, you don't have a set value and a passion for freedom and for your country to make it as best as you can, mm-hmm. then it's going to fail. And then they're going to be corrupting the Constitution just like they are right now. They're they're completely corrupting it. Like, there's this one quote from the other day. Um, it was, our duty is to make America the best it can be. How can you do any less than that? And that's one of the big things of, you know, going out and, and voting and, and having a passion to make it the best you can be and having a moral backbone. Because if you don't have values, it all falls apart. And then it's along with the system. You have to have the moral value. You have to have the knowledge and the intelligence, but you also have to have the system in place. You can't have one without the other because it will self-destruct like it is today because now both of them are crumbling. And so you have to have both sides for it to actually work and prosper. And there's all, it's never going to be perfect. The perfection doesn't exist. Euphoric worlds don't exist. You just have to make it the best that you can. You have to do the best that you can. That's why America has been able to go to such great lengths in succeeding in ways other countries can only imagine at the speed that we have. But they could have what we have if they would exactly. just open their country up to freedom. See, that's that's the big thing. Exactly. But uh, you know, as someone who wasn't the and most that's what religious sets America person, apart. yeah. But as someone who who came to uh, came to this, you know, as, as uh, you know, years go by, uh, I've discovered that you cannot have a belief in freedom without a belief in God. Because if your belief, if, if government is your power source, if government is your source of knowledge and wisdom, if government is, is your guardians, your safety, or your reason for existing, then they will rule over you. And the rule of law will literally be the rule of government by those who would seek power so uh, for power's sake. Go ahead. Slave to government. And, and exactly. the aspect that you're saying about freedoms and only God, because 
if you put everything in government, then you are a slave to that government. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, so many people that have that patriotism are followers of God because God is the ultimate freedom and that they know that those values are what they are going to be following after to ensure their liberties and their rights. You know, and God being the ultimate freedom, that's the conclusion I came to, uh, is is the same thing. And so this is why governments, what do they destroy? A belief in God, the family, you know, parental authority, uh, and and your your patriotism, your country. So if you believe in your country, if you believe in individual rights, and if you believe in God, then you're not going to be a slave to the government. And that's why they try and coerce you. Let me uh, me get back to this article. I've got a couple of things I want to point out here, and then uh, we might run a little overtime. Um, So I want to get – I'm really glad you can stick around for all this this time this morning. This is good. Let me just more of this article. It says we point to the – it says we Americans value freedom. We point to the birth of our democratic republic, our shining city upon a hill whose beacon light guides freedom-loving people everywhere, as Ronald Reagan put it, as the culmination of the age of enlightenment and a global triumph of liberty. And here's where it gets interesting. But any honest reflection of American freedom considers that we are also a country born of ruinous colonization and slavery. And it says, America's founders and leaders have doled out freedom in fits and starts. The enjoyment of liberty has been undependable for many of us, to say the least, and never truly paired with equality. Freedom and equality is a whole other discussion. We're going to get that at some point. But here's where it gets uh, even better. It says, Professor Tyler Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, teaches history at Fordham University. His new book is White Freedom, the Racial History of an Idea. In it, he defines white freedom as the belief and practice that freedom is central to white racial identity and that only white people can or should be free. I don't know how I found this article, looking up the human rights team from Twitter, but this is where I got. And this is where I've come to a new, you know, stronger belief I can explore that Marxism you know, really, and I've heard this before, but it, it didn't hit me as strong as when I started reading stuff like this, that Marxism is coming to this country, you know, by separating us by race instead of by class. And this is by saying this is class warfare, saying that whites, you know, that the, the same people, the, the founders that came from England, you know, that descended from those that, that wrote Magna Carta and limited Charles I and actually beheaded him, you know, for his oppression, the, his divine right of kings. The kings can do no wrong because kings are really God. You know, it's that same problem. It's the same problem we see over and over through history, right? And so these people that came here for, from wherever they came from, you know, the, the Puritans that came here, the, uh, the, the Mormons that came here, the, the different religions that came here, you know, and said, we want to, we want to be free. We want to practice our religion. We, we believe in God. We believe in freedom. We want a government that reflects that. Now these folks come along to Marx and say, well, they can't, they can't touch that because that's, that's the ideal. That's, that's the absolute ideal of, of, uh, of freedom. And so they can't touch that. So they have to come out with this other way. So, well, it's only for white people. Now, I don't know any place in our founding documents where it says that only white male property owners can vote. I have never found that. Yet everybody hears it, says it, believes it, that, uh, that the founding fathers were you know, such racist that uh, they really only meant freedom for white males. I think that's just pure propaganda because I can't find anything about it. You guys have any insight on that? Actually, Priyanki left. Uh, yeah, I guess he had to go. Uh-huh. Brianna, just, it's just you and me. Have you heard that? <laughs> White male property owners were yeah, the only a lot ones of, who get the vote. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. And at the beginning, that, like at the very, very beginning of America, that was a, a reality. Well, not the mm-hmm. very, very beginning, but right after the very beginning. There's a lot of different yeah. steps. Don't want to confuse yeah. the steps. But, I mean, that was a real thing. Like, status, um, there, there's a certain word for it, um, of like landowners that have so much 
land are allowed oh, to Oh, freeholders. Stuff, but that was I changed. think they're called freeholders. Is that the word you're looking for? No, it was like a system of government. But it was changed rather quickly, actually, too. And before that, um, and it's actually really funny because a lot of people don't know about this. But even before that, there were, because a lot of people say it was only like white men who did anything at the very beginning. That's the very beginning. There's actually a lot of uh, black pastors and black office holders and stuff mm-hmm. before like that time frame. And that was like the very, very beginning. They were the very beginning. And I thought that was kind of funny because a lot of people yeah. don't really know that. But um, so I do know that that was a system in place, but that is not a thing in our constitution anymore. Like, how, was it how, ever? I've never seen race mentioned in any of our founding do documents ever. I don't see. I've never seen race mentioned. It's not. It's not. You know, and with good reason, because the founders didn't believe in that. They didn't believe in racial discrimination. Yeah. So why do you think this is happening now? Why do you think that the, the Marxists, is this the only way they could divide us and conquer us and destroy our society was to set up a race war? <clears throat> Not literally. Well, maybe literally if they could get away with it. But to say that black lives matter, white lives don't. Uh, this article that I just said from NPR, this is, this is a government publication, right? National Public Radio, funded by taxes. So this is the government's point of view that they're promoting this book. This, this person, let me go back to that article again. Uh, where he says that, and this is a fascinating quote, <clears throat> that uh, the belief and practice of f- that freedom is central to white racial identity and that only white people can or should be free. Now, there's people who believe this nonsense. But what is white racial identity? Do you, do you I, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing you're white, but I could be wrong. But I'm just saying, do you, do whatever color you are, do you, do you think, you know, like, I'm a white guy. I don't think of myself as a white guy. I don't go around thinking, hmm, what would a white man have for breakfast this morning? Hmm, where would a white man go at this particular <laughs> point in the day? I don't think like that. I don't think people do. And yet, the identity, yeah. this, this oppressive because, identity. Go ahead. And it's also because like, when people try and like, put in like, a race or an ethnicity, they tie it all together of, mm-hmm. of their skin color. But the truth is, everybody, because of, like, um, what's the word here? I'm, I'm having a loss of words today. But well, because of like, the timeline of humans, everybody is... <laughs> This isn't a, this Everybody isn't a is like full of a yeah. bunch of uh-huh. a bunch of different uh, histories and um, ethnicities, and, and they're made up of multiple different cultures. And like mm-hmm. people, like for me, I have Irish, and I know I'm white, like European of some sort, mm-hmm. and obviously this all now to me American, and I know I have some Native American in me as well. It's so like I'm made of all these different things, mm-hmm. and they only focus on like your skin color specifically what you look like on the outside like you said that you are an immigrant you're not naturally born in the united states of america but you are now an american and mm-hmm. isn't yeah. that a really good thing that they're, they're trying to fight against all of this yeah and yeah. i think the biggest thing is one of the things you said is like um they're trying to create this war on racism and stuff and i i don't think that's the, i think that's like what's happening here but i don't think that's the underlying point of what they're trying to do i think what they're trying to do is this war on truth because they cannot oh, win over truth. And like one of the things, I think I've said it on here before, about like they're not afraid to be silenced on social media or anything because they know that they can get away with it. They just don't want the truth coming out of other people. You know, they don't have to worry about being silenced as long as nobody else hears a, a different point of view. Because if the truth gets out, they, their entire idea fails. And there's some quotes of, of the truth 
in here. It's one is by St. Augustine. It says, we love the truth when it enlightens us, but hate it when it convicts us. And I think that's <laughs> one of the things that's happening now with the culture. They hate yeah. the truth because it goes against what they want. And, and that's a lot of things like, um, I remember listening to this one thing about the truth matters and stuff, where atheists, the main reason that they said that they were atheists is because they didn't like how God restricted whatever they wanted to do. Hmm. Like sinful things that God wouldn't let them do this now because so they don't feel any guilt about doing it. And there's another quote. It's like, I don't have enough faith <laughs> to be an atheist. Well, see, I thought of atheists uh, and, and, as people that, that couldn't conceive that a higher power would actually organize the universe. And uh, my contention is you couldn't have the universe without a higher power because it would never be organized. Yeah. Another of the quotes of Winston Churchill, like everybody knows who he is, he said yep. that men stumble over the truth from time to time, but most pick themselves off and hurry off as if nothing happened. So what would you, I guess, um, analyze of this quote of what he's saying over the truth about like the culture today? Then let me hear one more time. That men would rather escape and run away men than deal stumble, with the truth? Mm-hmm. Men stumble over the truth from time to time. But most mm-hmm. pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Oh, okay. It's, so it's like truth is discovered by accident. Like, yeah, you discover a truth, and then what do you do with it? Well, do you deal with it? I and mean, it's truth, you right? It. So, so the best thing to do is we take on challenging topics here. I think we deal with it. I think we don't stumble and run away. I'm not afraid of the truth, even when it's a bad truth. I've faced a lot of bad truths in my life. I've had, you know, stuff happen. I mean, you can't go through life and not have stuff happen. Um, but, uh, but still, the truths and the hardest truths are the ones to realize about yourself your own limitations. I accept my limitations. Why do you think I have all, all you other folks on the show? Because I can't do it all. <laughs> you know, I don't have all the great thoughts in the world. I got a few, you know, but, but that's the truth. And I, and think, so that's, in, I think that's a really go good point. Like a hmm. bunch of different people can, contributing and everything. And I think that's also hmm. going on with now, like with the, the truth that we're going over is a lot of people don't exactly agree on what truth actually is. Because now a lot of people are saying, oh, truth is subjective. It's whatever you want to be. Well, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of funny that I said. Well, that's but, the difference between um, your truth and the truth. You, the truth, you know, and and uh, yeah. that's like people who say, you know, there are fifteen different uh, genders. Okay, well, that's nice for you. That may be your it's truth, like, but it's not the truth. The truth is there's male and female. The one and thing you can believe anything that, you want. That, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about that, like what you're saying mm-hmm. right now, is whenever they say it's your truth, no, that's not your truth. That's your belief. That's your yep. idea. That, that's your thought. That is not your truth, because truth is objective. You can't change it based on what you think. What you oh, think what about the truth is your belief. It's your idea. It's your thought. It is not yeah, the but truth. They, they look so at it as their truth, though. That's, that, that, I guess that's what I was trying to say, but yeah, you're right. And that's the, that's the war on truth that uh, and we're talking about right now. Is they twist mm-hmm. it so that nobody can define the truth to go against what they want. And so they have to change it. They have to change the language. And, and the actual definition of truth is that which corresponds to its object or that which describes an actual state of affairs. Mm-hmm. An actual is reality. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that they are trying to destroy. They want to destroy reality because reality is truth. And it goes against everything that the leftists are fighting for. They're well, fighting it, for. Yeah. I've heard it said in mind control, if you can get people to believe, you know, two plus two is five, you know, you can get them to do anything. If you can get people to believe uh, whatever, I mean, that's the whole basis of propaganda is organizing, you know, through fear 
and misinformation in an entire uh, culture. And it doesn't take that many. It takes like 30% of the population to sort of make the rest of them fearful enough to, to go along. It's like the Nazis in Germany were only 2% of Germans were in the Nazi party, but they were organized. About 30 some odd percent to, to go with them. And they actually won elections. And then, of course, the whole nation's in, in, involved in, in this massive world war. But mo- you ask most Germans, you know, up until when the, the cannons started firing, do you want to do this? Like, no, hell no, I don't want to do this. So it's, but, it, but if you, unless you get enough people together and fight this, fight these people that are trying to dominate and, and making their truth, you know, your truth, uh, that's a, that's a, or their beliefs, your beliefs, you know, this is when things get really screwed up. So why do you think this is? Why, why do you think these, uh, the, the leftists are so intent on, on demonizing, you know, this, this thing called white racial identity and that, uh, that the only freedom that they, that they think exists in the world is white people with freedom for other white people oppressing everybody else. I don't think you can have freedom and believe in oppression at the same time. This is why I'm reading this a little while ago, you know, before the show and, and, and yesterday. I'm thinking, how can anybody say they truly believe in freedom unless they believe in freedom for everybody? Then you don't believe in freedom. You believe in, in selfishness. You believe in, in personal acquisition of property at the expense of other people. But that's not freedom. You can't believe that's in freedom. That's exactly what it is. Go ahead. That's exactly what it is. It's a selfishness. They, try and, they find any avenue they can to benefit themselves at the cost of anybody else, not even knowing that it's also the cost of themselves because they don't look deeper into it. They, it's, yep. and it's a big thing with culture and God. Everything is shifting. People want things for themselves and don't look on the outside of it. And that's a really big thing. And it all goes back down to God and morality and selflessness because mm-hmm. if they don't have these good moral ideas, all they want is they keep on wanting. That's all they want. They, they want everything for themselves, not to have to work for anything, and everything to be perfect for them, for them to have no problems whatsoever. And they want to create as much trouble as they can in order to get as much as they want. And I think, so they're I think the ones that uh, they're the ones who want freedom for themselves and to oppress everybody else. It's almost like projection. So what you're saying is that the Marxists are saying that white people with white racial identity, whatever the hell that is, I have no idea, you know, don't want anybody else to be free. But what it really is if you take the race out and you go back to class analysis, you go back to Marx, the, the godless communists that say that uh, that have an elite in charge of everything and everybody else, you know, is is communist, which means no property, no life, no nothing. You just serve the state or I guess communism says there's no state, but that's it, it doesn't actually work out that way. So these are the people that are saying that we believe in freedom for us and not for you by saying that these other people believe in freedom for themselves and not for you. So what they're really doing is using projection. Uh, of their beliefs, projecting it onto another group that they're demonizing in order so that they can take over everybody and have everybody run to the Marxists and say, oh, yes, you know, protect us from those evil white nationalists, white supremacists, white racial identity people that only want freedom for them. Absolutely. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? definitely that kind of double yeah. standard. Yeah. 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 And that's like the basic propaganda. One of the propaganda. things that I just find... Uh-huh. One of the things I find obviously horrific, but also it's, it's, a, it's a little bit funny when you think about it, because sometimes you have to look at it from a point of view. They, they hate the rich, right? That, that's the big lesson. Hate the rich because they, they have money, right? They don't uh-huh. want them to have money. And so they're fighting for these rich people to give them money for free so that they can get richer. And it's just like... It, I thought you wanted everybody to be equally poor, right? But if you mm-hmm. want them to give you money, that makes you richer, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. I thought you hated rich. 
<laughs> well, that's see, that's that's what we call projection. That's what we call hypocrisy. You've just defined hypocrisy. That uh, political leaders uh, that say that we want, you know, we're we're doing this for you. We're giving you benefits. We're doing all this kind of stuff while they make insider trading deals, while they get uh, filthy rich. You look at both parties. Um, but I want to get off that topic for a second. I want because we got a few minutes here. We can run over time a little bit. If you have time, I've got time. Uh, but this is fascinating. This whole idea of of the the government is the is the privileged people, and it's like, well, we work for you, therefore we deserve you know, private jets. Uh, we deserve, you know, we can do this. We, you know, we, we can mandate, you know, masks and, and uh, you know, genetic uh, mutating shots and things like that because we're in charge. We know what's best for you. Listen to us and everything will be fine. And a certain percentage of the population do. And it's really scary. You know, it, it's hard to be, remain an individual. See, the problem with the individuals is we're not united. And the Marxists get their power by uniting you know, the people that are not individualists, that don't have the ability to stand up for themselves and would rather be part of a group. And the group becomes more powerful than a group of individuals. And that's the sad part. So how do we as individuals, you know, get more powerful than the group when the Marxists are saying, follow us and we will take all the stuff that the other people have and you'll be fine. You'll be free from fear, as the UN Declaration says. You'll be free from want. Just follow us, follow our pathway, and you'll be happy, you know, uh, it's like the, the what's that, the gates of uh, Auschwitz and uh, Dachau. I actually went to the Dachau concentration camp memorial. There's a sign on the door, work makes you free. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> it's a concentration camp. It's a death camp. They work you to death. But it's interesting, the whole propaganda, mm-hmm. the way it works. Back to you. I know that's it not really, really a question. Is. Yeah, yeah. Well, about like 20 thoughts yeah. were flying through my head while you were giving that spiel. Just, oh. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the podcast. Look, see, this is the problem being ADHD. I think you're 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 almost as much ADHD as I am, which is good because that's how we can talk about all this stuff. Uh, have you ever thought about that, or is that, or am I just making it up and it's not true? Um, yeah, I think my I don't think it's like that. I think my brain just has so many ideas so fast um, yeah. that I forget them all. <laughs> I do too. Listen, I, I have to listen to the podcast and go, she I made a really good point there. I'd forgotten I made that. You know, it happens. Believe me. Um, let's go over. I just want to, if you have a few minutes, I want to go over a couple of things for the election tonight because it'll be interesting to talk about these next week after the election. But it seems to me, I always look for the story that's not reported. I look for the issue that's not covered. Uh, and in this case, I look for the election issues uh, that weren't even touched uh, in this issue, in, in this entire election. Did you hear anybody talking about doing something about the national debt, either party? The national debt? Mm-hmm. $31 trillion. Um, the cause of inflation. I haven't actually listened to anybody. So out of the people that I, I didn't actually listen to everybody, so um, uh-huh. I would have to say no. But, I mean, it could possibly be out there, and I just didn't notice it. But also, it I think because these are like midterm kind of state elections and stuff, and everybody's really focused on their individual states, I think, mm-hmm. or at least I hope. But, but the national um, debt affects everybody. I think nobody because, really well, – gonna... Yeah. Yeah, that's completely true. I just don't think anybody was actually – I think that's part of your thing about asking the questions nobody else is asking. I think that's a perfect example of that. I mean, it could have been asked somewhere. So people may have been worried about it, but I don't think it's a point that has been covered. Personally, I don't yeah. so. $31 trillion going up all the time. It is the sole cause of inflation. Uh, the borrowing and printing of money, printing of money lowers the value of all the other dollars. The more dollars you have in circulation, the less each is worth. It's like a pizza. I explained with a pizza, right? You got four slices of pizza and a pie, right? You got that piece is pretty big, but you only got four. Well, I'm on eight slices. Okay, fine. Cut those, those pieces in half. Now you got eight slices. You got more pieces, right? Yeah, but they're only half the size of it when it was four. That's inflation. 
So inflation is increasing the number of pieces of pie without increasing the size of the pie. The creation of wealth is, a cre- is increasing the size of the, of the pie. So when the economy grows, you increase the size of the pie. If you keep the dollars the same, then as you increase the pie and keep the number of slices the same, the slices get bigger, which means the dollar becomes more valuable. That's how I explain currency. Make sense? Yes. So inflation really is increasing the number of slices without increasing the size of the pie. And, the, and what that does is it results in an increase in price. Because each slice, if you're using pizza for currency, each slice becomes smaller, which means it's less valuable. Well, if each, each slice becomes smaller, you need more pieces to give to somebody for the same value. And that's inflation. Yeah, and, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong on this. Oh, I, I could very well possibly be. <laughs> but from what I've learned, mm-hmm. uh, presidents and the government and people in America have always known that debt is, you know, because it was it was also a biblical principle for them, but it was also like a well-known fact in the government. Many founding fathers have closed us that debt is mm-hmm. a bad thing. It, it will hurt the country. And it seems that it's changed with specifically progressives of the idea that, Putting the country in debt is better for the citizens. It started with a British economist named John Maynard Keynes. Have you heard of Keynesian economics? Yes, but I haven't looked much into them, but I've heard of them. Okay. Well, look into him because he's the dominant theory. The theory is that if, you, if the government spends money, the economy will improve. Well, the flaw in Keynes' theory is that where did that money come from? It came from the very people the government is spending money on. So in other words, they take tax dollars – or they borrow money, which causes inflation when they print uh, more dollars. So the government, in trying to spend money, in trying to invest, in trying to rig the economy, like electric cars or, or all the other things they're trying to force upon us, when the government does that, it comes out of the market. But the big problem is that government spending money is spending money it doesn't have. It wasn't the government's to spend. And so the flaw in the theory is if you take $10 from somebody and say, hey, I'm going to spend $8 on you. Well, the government has to take a certain amount of money to, to run the government, and the more the government is spending, the bigger the departments that spend the money, the more has to be taken out of the money they're spending that they took in taxes um, in order to run the government. So the bigger the government gets, the bigger the chunk of, of money that it costs to do it. So they'll, they'll take $10 in taxes and maybe give you back 7 Well, that's a losing deal. That's why Keynesian economics fails, because it forgets to take into account the government takes money. The government never gives back as much as they take. And that the whole philosophy is the government does not create wealth. Only people do. You know, raw materials, manufacturing, work, labor. To... Yeah, go ahead. There's also something like I want to have like a session, or maybe next week or the week after or something, but about mm-hmm. like government power, specifically within bureaucracies and such, mm-hmm. um, and, and cabinets and, and different kinds of those things. I think that would be a really good discussion to have. Yeah, it would, like really um, because the bureaucrats, remember that scene in Star Wars, you know, where they got the big circles and they're all over this huge hall and, and the different nations were speaking or different worlds were speaking. And then uh, one of the, the people says, yeah. uh, and now the bureaucrats take over and the bureaucrats tell the leader what to do. We are a government of bureaucrats. You know, you look at Washington. Uh, have you been there? It's, it's well worth the trip. It's fascinating. I, I used to want to go. <laughs> But no, I haven't. No, it's, it's, well, I, see, I was fortunate. I went as a 20-year-old intern back in the 80s, and I got to walk the halls of Congress, and I got to ride in the Senate, you know, a little subway between the Senate and the House. I got to ride in that with senators and House members because I was an intern. They knew me. 
you know, and uh, of course, uh, all the interns, we were dirt poor. We weren't being paid. Uh, and I wasn't a congressional intern. I was working with a consumer group. This is back in my liberal days. I'll tell you about that sometime. We we're the ones stealing all the sandwiches at the congressional receptions because we were too poor to afford food. So we just, you know, borrowed theirs. <laughs> Thank you very much. I lived on, I lived on little finger sandwiches for about three months. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating what we do in Washington. Richest country in the world. They don't pay their interns. Um, anyway, but it was a fascinating look into power. But Washington, the Congress itself, you know, the, the, the real work of Congress, it's not done in the hollow. It's, it's not done in, in the, the main floor with the debate. Those are, those are planned speeches. It's not done uh, even in Congress necessarily. It's done on the golf course and in the restaurants in Georgetown. Uh, it's done in all kinds of different places. I mean, the lobbyists, the show yesterday, we went over how Congress doesn't write laws anymore. We've written more laws. The action radio people have written more laws than any member of Congress since the mid-1990s because we actually write the bills ourselves. That's kind of scary. But the way government works, but you go to Washington, they have these huge bureaucracies. The FBI building is huge. Heart, health and Human Services, well, whatever it is now. Uh, yeah, Health and Human Services is huge. Uh, the White House is kind of tiny. Congress is pretty big. But the executive, the Pentagon is massive. And they have all these bureaucracies there, which I'd you know, send around the country. So the bureaucracies really run things because who implements the laws? It's not the Congress. They can't watch all the laws. It's not the president. They're only one person. So who actually ends up implementing and, and regulating the laws? The bureaucracies, you know, like look at the Justice Department, or as I call it, the Ministry of Internal that's Security. Go ahead. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've read about it is that um, the politicians get the credit, bureaucrats do the work. The thing is, they both should get the credit for how bad of a job they're doing. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, Congress has failed a number. No, you're absolutely right. Congress has failed in a number of areas. They delegated power to the bureaucracies. They should not. They're not performing, you know, proper oversight. Uh, and they've even allowed the uh, this. Here's a here's here's how bad it gets. If uh, you know the 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 emergency declaration of uh, of COVID, you know where we went into where the the government declared an emergency. Do you know how that actually happened? It's kind of interesting. Um, what do you mean who about declared, how it actually happened? Who, who declared the COVID emergency? Um, I want to say Fauci because he's really loud in that. Arena, <laughs> yeah, also, I call him Doctor. I call um, him Doctor Fascist. So feel free to call him Doctor Fascist on the show if you want. That's a good one. It that's seems good. to fit. Yeah. Well, his full title is the genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's a practice. Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is, this is only ch- the first chance we have to chat just you and me. I'm really enjoying this. Um, but uh, the the way that the emergency was declared, it was not by the president. It was not by the Congress. You would think it would. It wasn't even by a judge. It was done by the Secretary of, of uh, Health and Human Services. And what the secretary did was published a notice in the Federal Register. And that notice appeared, I think it appeared in the Congressional Record too, but it's in the Federal Register. And it, it said, we are declaring an emergency. That was it. No vote of Congress. And that declaration that was simply put into print in the Federal Register became effectively that is power because look what happened from that declaration hydroxychloroquine and and ivermectin there's and treatments for for covid were banned they then set about to find other drugs remdesivir ventilators from that declaration they were able to impose social distance uh mask mandates school closures closures of what they considered non-essential businesses and it all stems from something that was published in the federal register that was never a law it was never passed by Congress. Yeah, never I don't know considered if by... Go ahead. I don't know if 
if you've talked about this on on one of your other things or not, but about mm-hmm. them all wanting amnesty now for you know all the people that they've murdered and <laughs> oh, the federal government and everything. Oh yeah, amnesty. So so they terrorize the population. They impose dicta- dictatorships. Uh, they close down everything, mandate everything, and now they want amnesty. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> yeah. No. And they claim that they didn't know. I mean, no, you didn't know. Didn't know. That's why they were just following orders. Remember the Nuremberg trials? Oh, we're just following orders. You know, in fact, I had the mayor of Milton uh, was on my show. And this is back during COVID. And she wanted mask mandates and and, uh, uh, closures and all kinds of things for the town. And the the city council said, no, we're not going to do that. And we had our Mardi Gras parade without mask men, without uh, masks. It was great. For the first place, I had a Mardi Gras parade, I think, in the country. Because our city council said, no, we're not going to put up with this BS. Anyway, but she, so she actually ran to, to CNN. It's Heather Lindsay. So she runs to CNN. Oh, my town's against me. All this other stuff. They're, they're going to kill everybody. People are going to be dying in the streets because they're not wearing masks. Now, anybody that knows the mask knows that they don't stop a virus. Okay? Knows that they're actually more dangerous wearing one because they're like a Petri dish in front of your face. You know, you've got a nice warm environment. You breathe, you know, moist air into a, into a cloth. Bacteria go, yeah, home. Let's go. So they're, they're, they're incredibly dangerous especially when you're wearing them for multiple days. But what she said, and what was so fascinating, I said, why do you want a mask mandate? What are you doing this for? She says, I'm just following the chain of command. I said, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a mayor. What chain of command? Oh, the governor and the, and the CDC. I said, the CDC passes guidelines. There's nothing mandatory from what the CDC says. They're authorized. They, they take their authorization from the Commerce Clause. There's not even a public health declaration. There's nothing in the Constitution that gives the federal government the power to regulate health in any way. There is no public health justification for anything at the federal level. And yet people are following CDC guidelines from an organization that isn't, isn't even a regulatory agency that makes suggestions that nobody has to follow and calling it the chain of command. That's how bad this gets. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that you got really deep into that too. <laughs> I, I do. I did. Well, you know, I, I've been practicing. It's it's an occupational hazard. <laughs> you, you, I understand too that a lot of really a lot good, of the arguments. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. A lot of the arguments and things I use on the show are arguments that developed over years. You know, in other words, like like the Second Amendment, separating the use of firearms from the uh, uh, the keeping and bearing, and that totally disrupts people when they say, "Well, you can't have the Second Amendment because criminals are killing people." Well, that's, that's in Congress. Those two statements have nothing to do with each other. Yes, people are being killed by criminals, and yes, we have a Second Amendment, but they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. So you start putting, putting that together and using that in your argument. So, so as you get better at this and you start, you know, you really got some good arguments in your head already, but as you get better and you start thinking, okay, fine, and it's kind of like a filing cabinet in your brain. And when someone says something, you just pull out the file. You know, here's my Second Amendment response. Here's my, uh, my economic response. Here's my uh, response from, from what God would say about this. Here's my response. And you have this catalog. You just go through it. And, and you, you get to the point where it's almost like an instantaneous thing. It's kind of fun. Um, but that's, that's how you can make arguments and how you sound. You know, it's like, wow, did you just make that up? No, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I thought of that six years ago. I've just been evolving the argument since then. So that's when it gets fun. So, so debating rhetoric, it's a, it's a fascinating study. Uh, my, my favorite courses in college was uh, speeches. It was a rhetoric course. And we analyzed uh, all the great speeches. You know, Winston Churchill's speech, we'll fight him on the beaches, we'll fight him in the streets, we'll never surrender. You know, I mean, that speech was inspiring. Uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, uh, Washington's inaugural address, Kennedy's inaugural. You know, these fast, I've got a whole file. In fact, we might do that sometime. I've got a bunch of speeches. You know, we can go over them. But um, the ability to inspire people with words. 
Uh, and the fact that people, they don't know, you know, when Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That's not the whole quote. The rest of it is something like, ask not, you know, what uh, the United States can do for, for your country, ask what we can do for the betterment of mankind. So everybody knows the first half, but nobody knows the second half. It's like we talked earlier about the, um, the, the uh, separation of church and state and the letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists. Well, no one ever asked, well, what question did the Danbury Baptist ask of Thomas Jefferson to get that answer? Nobody ever asked that. I did. I got a piece on it. And in fact, I think I played it for you sometime. Back my Santa Rosa Volunteers piece. The Danbury Baptists were a discriminated religious minority in a state full of Congregationalists. Well, the, the state constitution of Connecticut at that time said that only con- Congregationalists could hold office. So the separation of church and state was the separation of a church saying we're the only people that can serve in the state. That's what it was, and nobody knows that. But the left has used that as, as say, well, Thomas Jefferson, everybody's favorite uh, you know, founding father, mine too, by the way, uh, followed closely by Madison and, and, and some of the others. But Jefferson's the dude. I mean, writing the Declaration of Independence was pretty cool. Uh, we read it every July 4th. But the separation he's talking about, he isn't separating um, you know, government from religion and from churches. The churches have to be a moral authority on the government. That's the whole point. That's the moral code you talked about. You know, you can't have freedom without God, and you can't have a government unless it's restricted by the moral code of, of uh, God and Scripture and the churches. That's their job. So when the churches closed down during COVID, they, not only did they abandon people, they abandoned God. They abandoned their job. They abandoned their role in society in keeping the government in check. They let the government run wild. So any church that closed down during COVID should not exist as far as I'm concerned. Nobody should go there. And all those pastors, priests, and, uh, uh, and all those folks should be kicked out. They weren't. They're still there. But that's the problem. It's a weakness. It's a, it's a definite weakness out there. But if you look at the words, you look at the speeches, you look at um, the, the, the persuasion, study propaganda, study how words are used euphemistically, uh, gender affirming health care, okay, which I call Frankenstein medicine. Now, if I say Frankenstein medicine, that's a totally different connotation than gender affirming health care, right? And yeah, I'm talking about the same thing. What do you think? Can you think of more examples? Of words that, uh, if we use, I have a whole article I wrote on this, by the way. Again, years ago, thinking it through, um, that there are things that, that we use in politics. Uh, they say rhino. Uh, I say transgender Democrat. Is it not, not to make fun of transgenders, but to say that, uh, that the, the whole political correctness thing is, is out the window and that Republicans aren't Republicans. If they act like Democrats, they're actually transitioning to Democrats, which is where the term came from. Uh, if I said to you, well, let's, let's do a poll. Are you still there? It sounds kind of quiet. We got you still there? Yes, sorry. Okay, good. Yes, okay. I'm, I'm I just want to make sure. So let me ask you a poll question. Uh, and I ask you the same question two different ways. Um, do you think we should ban those nasty assault weapons so that we can save lives in this country? That if we could just control with decent, common-sense gun control, this would be a much safer country? Your response yeah. is? Goodness do you favor it or no? Common-sense gun control. <laughs> common oh, sense gun control. Absolutely not. So I, but the, so if, uh, go but, ahead. The and, and you're really right about like the wording, the language of it all, because right offhand, you know, nasty assault weapons that are killing people. You know, obviously everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, well, we don't want that to happen. That and mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things. It's that war on language. It's, mm, it's so that's an interesting term. Today, and it's so dangerous. Yeah. So then if I asked you, do you think we should preserve our freedom rifles to maintain our freedom from the potential of a tyrannical government taking us over and imposing a dictatorship upon us? 
Same question as I just asked you. Ooh, freedom rifles. Now what are you thinking? Freedom rifles. You like that term? I mean, it's still the same exact kind of thing. Like you, you're still changing the language. Yes, mm-hmm. it's in a more favorable way of what a lot of people see and what a lot mm-hmm. of people believe on it. But, you know, freedom rifles technically a thing as well. So, I mean, either way, it's it's changing the language. You have to understand the importance and understand it, um, the context of the reason why. But you also can't promote anything in a manipulative way. Because once you do, that trust and that truth is gone. So how would you and ask so the then question? Like, well, I'm going to ask the same question both ways. Should you ban certain weapons? I put it in one sense in the terms of safety and common sense, gun control, and all those things, but, but complete abrogation of rights. And the second one I said in terms of government tyranny and, and talked about freedom rifles in terms of maintaining freedom. It's exactly the same question. Asked two completely different ways. But that's the essence of propaganda and persuasion, isn't it? Exactly, because each side is promoting you to think of one way and one way this side and one way the other side. They're two, I mean, the same exact questions, but they're both wanting you to answer two completely different things. Yeah. Unless people, you know, just really love tyranny or something, you know. <laughs> well, you can you can try that too if you want to like write down a poll question. It'd be interesting. Write down. It'd be a good uh, experiment sometime. Write down two opposing views. That's exactly the same question. Uh, the gun stuff is too easy. Uh, let me just ask you like maybe one more question that I should probably uh, end for today. The uh, the Democrat Marxist communists are out there, and I use that term, you know, decidedly. Uh, I basically divide uh, the, the, pol- the political parties into Marxists and cowards, and you know which is which. So they're going around saying democracy is on the ballot. What do you think of that? What are they trying to say? I have not heard that term. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'll tell you now. The Democrats are democracy saying democracy is on the ballot. On the ba- democracy is on the ballot. You have to get a, a vote. It's critical to vote, in other words, for Democrats, because democracy itself is on the ballot. Does that make any sense? No. I mean, some things are like metaphorical, though. I just don't understand uh-huh. it if it is a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're saying democracy, they're implying that democracy is, is what we are. That is the most valid political system. That is something that must be preserved. We have to preserve our democracy. Now, how would it be on the ballot? If it's on a ballot, is, and this is the argument that the, this isn't just me, but people are saying, well, wait a minute. If we even have a ballot, isn't that an exercise in democracy itself? So the fact that, it, that a vote exists, does that not mean that a democracy exists? So what I mean, we say? use democracy in our system, but are, we have a republic. Mm-hmm. Now, just think about it in terms of Democrats. Uh, what if I said uh, oh. the Democrats are on the ballot? Does that make more sense? <laughs> Same question. Yeah, because, you know, there are Democratic candidates on the ballot that are called right. Democrats. So, I mean, that would but, be correct. But if but democracy is on the ballot. I think I understand what you're saying. Okay, well, we're I playing with this. I think that they're saying yeah. it's crucial, like, to vote for Democrats because that's how you – uh, save democracy. I think that's exactly. Is that what yep. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Because what they're what they're saying. This is what I, this is what I figured out a little bit ago. Is what they're really saying is that you have to vote for Democrats because Democrats are democracy. That's the message. Yeah. The Democrats are democracy. What well, does that make the Republicans? 
a Republican? No. <laughs> no. Haven't, haven't you heard the – well, you may not have heard this, but there's a lot of Democrat leaders who go around saying that, you know, Trump is a Nazi and the Republicans are Nazis. And, you know, so what they're, the reason that they're saying democracy is on the ballot, that's the nature form of Republicans are all Nazis and they're going to take over the country. Now, here's something I don't know. One more question. I'm really having too much fun here. One question. And that is everybody talks about Hitler all the time. The Democrats are always invoking Hitler as a right-wing dictatorship. Can you have, if we think of left as totalitarian, as dictatorships, and right as anarchy, can you have a right-wing dictatorship by definition if the left is totalitarian and the right is anarchy? Absolutely not. And this is one thing that I'm I'm really glad that the um, government class I'm taking right now points out because they show the publicized spectrum, you know, which is incorrect. Okay. It's, uh, and, but he also explains each of the government systems and how they actually fit into the spectrum. And if you go all the way to the right, like mm-hmm. all the way, you mm-hmm. get anarchy. If you right. go all the way to the left, you get an authoritarian tyrannical dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And also on the left side, you have communism. And one mm-hmm. of the things that they say is it's on the left side still, but it's closer to the middle is socialism. And then after that, not much closer. Have, not much like, closer to the middle. <laughs> it's a little bit, you know. Well, let me because because we're on radio. Let's, let's let's put this in terms of, of, of graphics. So imagine a, a twelve uh, foot ruler, twelve inches, right? So on the on the on the left side uh, is is one. That's totalitarian. Uh, on the right side is twelve. That's anarchy. So if we put where would you put communism as like the half inch mark, you know, uh, or where would or zero? Let's put zero as, as totalitarian. Um, and, and, and 12 as, as anarchy. So you're looking at a ruler. You're holding a ruler up in front of your face. Do you guys still use rulers? I guess you may not. <laughs> um, yeah, I do okay, at good. least. Well, I'm just checking. Okay. You know, cause you know, I don't know how much technology changes. You never know so you anymore. Look at, you look at this ruler. All right. So zero on the left, uh, is, is, is well, we should do it the other way. Let's put zero on the right <laughs> because it makes more sense. So anarchy is nothing. You know, there's no government at all. There's no zero government on the left side of this, this ruler. At 12, on the other side is, is tyranny, is dictatorship, totalitarianism. So that's 12. So where would you put – so if anarchy is zero, so there's no government there, 12 is absolute government. So communism, social well, – let's put communism. Would it be like 11 and three quarters? <laughs> you know, where, where would you put communism? This is going to be interesting. Yeah, I'd probably put it right at 11. Like 11, okay. 11, Socialism. 12, honestly. Personally, I just don't see the huge difference between the two of them. Okay, so you can you can put them in the same place. I don't care. It's your ruler. This is your political analysis. So put them both at eleven. Like, <laughs> um, they're technically labeled as something different, but in the actual okay. context of it, I think they're pretty much the same thing in reality. They they kind of go with each other. Do you understand what I'm saying about them being like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're both authoritarian. I think yeah. of communism as, as worse because, uh, at least in socialism, you have some private property, <laughs> but not much. And, but you have to share it as tax. I think of, it, yeah. I think of communism as like the system you live under controlled by a dictatorship. It's kind of okay. what, how I think of it. Mm-hmm. And Which then is socialism... Yeah, communism defines itself as no state and no property, and everybody shares everything. It's kind of interesting. How communism defines itself is not how communism is practiced, which makes it confusing to do these definitions. So you were going to say something. Yeah, well, 
Mm-hmm. That that's the part of truth that they don't like, right? <laughs> oh, we're we're gonna Reality. get to a big truth here in just a minute. Yeah, we're gonna get a really big truth here in just a minute. So we got communism, we got socialism. Socialism. How, how would you define that? Um. Well, it's kind of like you said. Like you still have some private property, but most time you're poverty. So I would. I mean, it's still. I might say eight, maybe nine, eight. Okay. Well, yeah, because right. middle is six, so, right? So probably eight or six. Well, yeah, middle is six. All right. So, so, so we're talking. So, socialism to me is is government control uh, of the economy, government control of of your your personal life. Uh, you get some property and some income, but for the most part, like in really socialist countries, they take almost all your income. And if you're wealthy, they'll take more than that. They'll take 110, 120 percent. So you actually end up paying what you, you know. Uh, what you have to the state. The state controls everything. Uh, inheritance taxes, nobody has private property, nobody has uh, private uh, retirement funds, no nothing. It's all, the state pretty much runs everything, but you still have a certain amount, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, of uh, stuff of your own, but not much. Uh, how about fascism? Where would you put that? So, for me, I kind of differentiate because I think that the fascist is person who wants everything to be the same like under them no differing opinion them to have absolute control right what the fascists would be and i feel like that's basically the type of government that would be in charge of a communist system well that's interesting but um i think because because of the way a fascist like the ideas of a fascist depend on like the person that they still Mm -hmm. want that control some of the mm-hmm. things that they allow might be different depending on it. Um, so I can say that, I mean, it's pretty difficult to say, but I still think that it goes right along with communism on the number spectrum of. So, so we put communism and fascism at 11? Yeah. And you had, and you had socialism. Where would you, where'd you put socialism? Did you say six? No, that's the middle. Eight. Socialism. Socialism is eight. Okay. Nazism. Nazism. Uh, Eleven. Okay. So communism, uh, fascism, and Nazism at 11. Why would you put it there when Nazis are a right-wing dictatorship? Shouldn't they be at one, one and a half? What are you putting over there at, uh, at 11 on the leftist side? We've been told forever that Nazis are a right-wing dictatorship. Uh Uh-oh. And now you see why this is such a big lie. I kind of said it up for you. (laughs) I really did, but yeah. yeah, Have you talked talked about this? Where do you put the Nazis on the totalitarian scale? Yeah, like me and my family have talked about this, and I, I think it's something that a lot of people are coming to the conclusion of that think kind of mm-hmm. like the same way that like me and you do. I think mm-hmm. it's also like kind of like a growing knowledge because more people are speaking about this. And yeah. there are two separate scales, like like you were just describing. There's one that everybody knows where it's like, oh, yeah, right-wing Nazis, you know, mm-hmm. left-wing commies. But then there's also the real scale. And I think that's also part of the truth that you're saying, like why is, there's a, such a big lie about this because, Mm-hmm. There's an, another well, why, why is it a big lie about the it? Why, though? Why? Why are they doing this? Why would they say that right-wing is Nazis? Why would they say Trump is a Nazi? Because, 
Because if they were to say the truth, then nobody would agree that communism and socialism and stuff is an actual good thing. Because, like, socialism is the baby that grows up into communism. Okay. It's like a, one of the metaphors that are, are widely used. And that's why everybody's pushing for, like, both of them. You see, you see both of it on the left. Mm-hmm. And if people see that after that, it's, you know, Nazi Germany kind of situations here mm-hmm. with Hitler, and they actually see the truth of the scale, then people mm-hmm. aren't going to want, the people aren't going to agree, people aren't going to fall in line with what they're trying to push. But if they are able to shift reality and push this lie on everybody, like they do so many other things, then they, they can have control. Because believing in lies is mm-hmm. slavery. Trusting lies is bound, is putting you in chains, basically, on your freedoms. Okay. This is really interesting. So we've got 12 is totalitarian. We've got zero is, is anarchy. We've got communists, fascists, and Nazis at 11. We've got socialists at 8. Where do you put Democrats? Um, because, so, democracy has different stages on what it allows because people vote, and mm-hmm. sometimes, like, it starts off good, and then it goes into that, and then it goes into a dictatorship. So, and the Democrats, in their principles, they usually are more for government control. So, mm-hmm. the way that it was originally set up is a little bit different. So, I think it's part of those things about, like, reality of what happens in a pure democracy and the reality of what happens at the end. We're not talking about democracy. We're talking about so the Democrat Party. This isn't a democracy. Well, we'll get to democracy. I'm curious where you put the Democrat Party. Oh. Oh. I know. Two different questions. So, in modern day, like today, with what the government, uh, Democratic Party is trying to push mm-hmm. in America right now, I would mm-hmm. probably put them at a five. See, I would disagree, that. and I'll tell you why. Because socialism does not imply. Oh, I, I should check my live chat. I got a, I got a, I got a whole bunch of comments that I didn't get to. I'm sorry, my texter. Uh, I should have gotten those earlier, but it's just me here. So, uh, you know. So the reason I asked that question, I put the Democrats at nine. I'll tell you why. Because the socialism does not imply a complete abrogation of your rights. Socialism controls the economy, controls your income, controls property, controls things like that. But you can still have some you know, free speech and, and independence and freedom of religion under socialism. But you have no economy, you have no fruits of your labor, there's no private property accumulation, it all goes to the state. Democrats who have controlled the media, have controlled free speech, have controlled rights, have a justice department that is anything but, it is raiding homes of political opponents, that puts them much closer to communist, fascists, and Nazis than it does to socialists. So I put the Democrats at nine. Make sense? Absolutely, and that makes complete sense on that. And okay. the reason that I, I put it at five is because the ideas of, of what they're wanting and what they're pushing and, and what they're doing, I think, is nine. But I think I was measuring off of the reality of where they're at right now and mm-hmm. what people have. Now, if they were to have complete control, I think what it would their ideas would turn into is definitely something of a nine you were talking yeah. about. Okay. But I think so how about, for... Yeah. Or just like the current state, I think it's yeah. what? Republicans. Where should we put them? What do you say? Republicans. Um like a three, maybe? Like right mm, in the middle. I'm gonna disagree with you again. I put seven point five. I don't know. 
I'll tell you why. Because the Republicans. Well, who's 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 boosting the taxes? Who's uh, controlling the who's led who let a coup take place? The Republicans did. Who let the Democrats do everything that, that they do? Who has not fixed free speech with with big tech? Who has not allowed product liability on, on vaccine makers? Who has done everything? Uh, who's not talking about uh, the national debt? Who's letting in, you know, five million illegal aliens over the next several years? Who is not stopping the Democrats from doing what they're doing? Who believes in what the Democrats are doing and are happy to let them do it, not do anything about it? So I would say they're they're all yeah, socialists. So that's what I mean. You disagree? It's okay, it's no problem. But that's my logic. I think there's See, there's something of allowance and, and letting it happen and letting it go. Um, but mm-hmm. I think I was dishing it off of the actual like values of what the Republican Party is. Oh, that's and, a great question. Uh, now the Republican base, I would put at about um, five. five. But the Republican leadership, I would put at seven point five. What do you think? Yeah, I think, well, the thing with what they're doing and stuff, a lot of them are just letting the Democrats do whatever. Like you said, they're they're not talking about anything. They're not really doing anything to stop it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a principle, if you don't do anything, you let the evil man win. You know, it's like if, if you don't go and vote, you know, you let mm-hmm. the enemy win, right? Because yep. if you don't vote for the well, good guy, the bad guy wins. Well, but a no vote is and a vote, so think, isn't it? Isn't a no exactly, vote a vote? Doesn't, yeah. doesn't so, it show... That the, the none of the choices are good isn't a no vote. Uh, and people say that you know this is why I say that uh, uh, you know you don't have to vote if there's nothing to vote for, don't vote. You know there's some offices I didn't vote for. I didn't like any of the candidates. I didn't vote for any of them. I'm not going to vote for somebody. I'm not going to pick the lesser of the evils. If there's evil, I'm not going to vote for it. So a no vote. If you have elections where you have massive amounts of turnout for one office and the same within the same state, you have like no turnout for another office, then you got bad you got bad choices. But that is in fact a vote. Right. Yeah. And I think with that idea in mind, I think mm-hmm. you could definitely put it there in the equalization of that idea. And okay. I think if, you know, there's a change in leadership of the actual Republican Party, because in the Democrat Party, what they influence, what they do, they they state those ideas. You know, they back up those corrupt ideas with what they say and what they do. And Republicans. Mm-hmm. They have this set of ideas and these principles and stuff they have in the Republican Party, but like you said, they're not doing it, which is like the no vote is, is for the end. So I think in that yeah. aspect, they would be put in the same category, but mm-hmm. or maybe like one one thing lower because they're not actually enacting it, but the same or one step lower. But I think in the actual ideas and principles of it, if we were to do both the democracy or the Democratic Party in America and the Republican Party in America. I think the ideas of it um, and the reality of where they are and reality of what they do, I think it's all different because everything is, everything of that is at different points in different places and what they're actually doing because there's a lot of different people involved in it. Oh yeah. This isn't easy. I mean, politics is, they call it a science, but it's it's really an art. Um, The reason I wanted to bring up this part of this is because if I have uh, the Democrat Party at at eight and the Republicans at seven, uh, nine and the Republicans at seven point five, that's uh, that's an inch and a half on our scale. Those two are fairly close together. Right. So the reason I want to do this is because it's common thought. People talk about the Democrats as left wing and the Republicans as right wing. But you had a little bit different. But is that really true? Are the Democrats really the Democrats are definitely left-wing, but are the Republicans really right-wing? If the, if the space on our 12-inch ruler is only uh, an inch and a half apart. 
Yeah. Um, again, I think it depends on like what the leadership is doing. Cause there's, mm-hmm. I mean, also there are some people in both parties that are kind of going against the grain, you know, like they're, are some Republicans that are standing up and, and are fighting for these different things and are coming across these points and stuff that do mm-hmm. line up with what the Republican Party believes and stuff. So also, no, I, I you, mean, but, uh, whenever you base yeah, something off of, that's why I do it uh-huh. off of the values of it, because the actual people and what the party is doing is it, it, different of what people are doing. So there's a lot of people that are laying back money from stuff and that go there, and a lot of people that are actually doing things. So I think with it, I think it all goes down to the values of what they actually believe and what, and also, you have to account for what they're actually doing, because I think the reality and the truth are very, very important in this matters, and it is a, a really tricky subject to distinguish between. Yeah, this is going to be a variable scale, and it absolutely depends on, on you know, that's the, but that's the whole essence of campaign. You know, that's why you analyze political speakers. What are they saying and what are they doing? So you make a very valid point. Just a couple more quick ones because uh, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> this has been a great morning. I'm, uh, I'm going to take a break here in a second. Yeah, it's been a long um, morning. Yeah, but it's really nice to have you for this much time. I appreciate it. So thank you, folks, too. I uh, appreciate uh, being able to talk to you for this long. Um, the reason I pointed out the, the narrow band between Democrats and Republicans is because you talk to journalists or you look at any kind of articles. When you talk about the Democrats as left-wing and the Republicans as right-wing, that's not really true because they occupy such a narrow band of the political spectrum. There's really not much difference. They both believe in foreign wars. You know, They both believe, because they'll send people to war anytime, they both believe in a huge national debt. They both believe in, in pretty much a whole bunch of taxes. They believe in a whole bunch of regulations. The only aberrations are like when Trump or Reagan or someone like that comes along. But for the most part, the two parties agree far more than they disagree. So, so to say one's right wing and the other's left wing is, is, is completely erroneous because the differences between them are far less than differences between totalitarianism and anarchy. Make sense? Yeah, there's a – yes, and there's a chart that I have, and it's actually from, like, Patriot Academy that they went in depth mm-hmm. of all the differences between the party values, and it shows Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian. Mm. And so I'm going to find that chart and send that. Yeah, yeah, yeah email it to me. I'd be really curious. Where are you going to put Libertarians on this chart? So they put it kind of, like, in the middle because they took some parts of the Republican ideals and some parts of the Democrat ideals in there. Like one of the things I guess um, that I remember from it that are different is um, libertarians. Like, let's say like we have an embassy in a, another country and stuff, mm-hmm. and like you know how like the bombings have happened at some of them, a lot of people have died. Well, like libertarians would believe that no, we don't need to engage in anything over there um, because it, we only need to focus here. Or Republicans are like, oh no, we have to go and defend that because that still um, belongs to America. Yeah, still I, put America. I put the libertarian. So that's one of, that's just one of the differences there. Yeah, no, that's, no it's very true. Yeah, I put libertarians are too because they don't believe in borders. They don't believe in drug laws. They don't believe in a lot of different things. They're so open. <laughs> they're in, in some ways, I think, too open. Uh, and they actually limit freedom because they're so open. Which is something we talked about earlier. Yeah, and I can, whenever I send it to you, maybe that's another discussion we can have over all the differences between them and what each um, mm-hmm. Each subject yeah. is. Well, let's, because we'll make this chart now. Take a long time on. <laughs> well, that's okay. We've taken a long time this morning. But we make this chart now with just you and me, and then we can compare it to the chart that the officials, those have pointed out. Where would you put democracy on this chart? Democracy? 
like um kind of like a marble kind of thing. Like, well, as in a political system. system. In other words, we've got communism, fascism, and Nazism at 11. We've got Democrat Party at 8. We've got socialism at uh, 9. I put them there. We've got socialism at 8. Republicans I have at 7.5. Um, we've got uh, libertarians down around 2. I don't think you had a space that you mentioned those. Um, I've got the GOP at 5. Where would you put democracy? Well... The thing is, with democracy, you are able to put in the person that the mob wants. And a lot of times, the mob is controlled by um, the wrong person, you know. So sometimes, Mm -hmm. democracy can lead to a tyrannical dictatorship. Sometimes, it can lead to something a little better. Like, for example, at the very, very beginning, it was an anonymous book we were putting George Washington in, right? Mm -hmm. George Washington could have easily undermined everything, changed the entire course, and went into this tyrannical dictator, but he didn't. He, he stayed with the values and he followed the Constitution. He set the baseline and the precedent yep. for every president after him. Mm-hmm. And so I think yeah, that he left. With that, no, that was the biggest thing. He left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he was um, really against parties too. But um, well, that's a, that's another so discussion I have too. The type of government, mm-hmm. the type mm-hmm. of government that spurs is on who you vote for, which is really dangerous in the mob rule. So I think the democracy, democracy. It, so I think you can't really put that on a line. You have to put it on what is the result from the democracy. Hmm. And the result no, from democracy, line. like they I said, usually six. always ends in tyranny. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, and I'm I, saying where it's going. I, I'll tell you, here's my logic. I put it at six because it's not an oppressive government. It could be, but it's, it's, uh, it's ruled yeah. by the majority without any restrictions on the majority. So I put them right in the middle. They're not socialists. Yeah. Because they're not, there's no accumulation, there's no guarantee of, uh, uh, there's no government control of property, there's no government control of anything really, um, but there's people control, yeah. but the people can go wild. There's no restrictions on the people, so you get the tyranny of the majority. Ever heard that expression? Yes. Okay. Here's the last one. Where do you put the founding fathers? Um. Probably out of three. Yeah, I agree with you. That's exactly what I had down here. So the Founding Fathers at three, Libertarians at two, uh, GOP at five, uh, Centrist and, and Democrat, uh, d- Democracy at six, Republicans at 7.5, Socialism at eight, Democrats at nine, Communists, Fascists, and Nazis at 11. And then, uh, yeah, I think we pretty well described it. But the whole point of this, where I started, the reason I wanted to get into this, is that when people say right-wing dictatorships, that's, that's, that's incongruous. That's, a, that's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction. That's an impossibility. You can't do that. But I think they say it because they want to demonize you know, what they are. They want to make Trump the demons because you know, Nazis are bad. Everybody knows Nazis are bad. Look what they did. They're the Holocaust. They're bad people. So you, but, but the thing is that the, the, the Nazis, we've already said, are leftist dictators that the Democrats want to become. They want a leftist dictatorship. So who's closer to the Nazis, Donald Trump or the Democrats? The Democrats. Exactly. I mean, the Nazis, no, they only wanted question. everybody to conform to, oh, of course it was, right? Because I had to answer that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, I mean, but, but I mean, the, this, yeah, they wanted to conform. Well, the Nazis And wanted, I think it's well, shown well, with. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's shown like with them, like, silencing every other point of view, you know, only wanting mm-hmm. this kind of government. Mm-hmm. Government control. Government is right. Believe this. One system of media. You know, it, mm-hmm. it all lines up with the exact same things, you know. And also one of the biggest things about it that I think is so obvious, other than those that I just listed, is the racism, 
right? Like, no, we ha- no, we have to judge people by their race. Oh, no, these people uh-huh. are hurting our country because they're uh-huh. white. And, like, remember when I told you about the Berkeley thing? About them literally having a no-Jew policy. They're like, mm. like, literally is. Where have we seen that before in history? Yeah, yeah that, that doesn't work out well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just, like, for me, it is so obvious. And for a lot of people, it's so obvious. And it's, like, crazy how they can still have so much control with this huge lie, even when it's just so obvious. And it's just dumbfounding sometimes. I'll tell you. Government schools. It's an indoctrination. You know, everything we've talked about here, this political scale, uh, that the, the Republicans are right and the Democrats are on the left. You know, that... Um, you know, this whole idea of, of uh, right-wing dictatorships, which we know, is, we know is impossible. We just proved it with this chart. You can't do it. You cannot, because what the Nazis wanted was totalitarian control. What the communists want is totalitarian control. What the fascists want is totalitarian control. Now, there's subtle shades of difference between them. You know, in communism, you have no property. In fascism, you have no rights. You have nothing. Uh, in Nazism, you know, it's the same. In Nazism, you have Holocaust. You know, it, it's a, but they're all, they're all different shades of the same thing. So here's the big question. You know, the, 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 the anti-fascists, uh, the communists, people don't realize that. This is one thing that Claire Lopez told us, that the, that the anti-fascist movement started in Russia in 1917. Well, who were the fascists? Well, that's what they called the Nazis, same kind of thing. So if you have left-wing Nazis fighting left-wing communists, you actually have a battle within the left. And yet it's not looked at that. They, they look at Russia in World War II as, as right-wing Nazis fighting left-wing communists. But nothing could be further from the truth. You, the left is violent. Look at any de- demonstration. Who's the one committing the violence? The left. Look at Antifa. Look at Black Lives Matter. Who's violent? The left is. So when you have left, so Germany was such a, a powder keg because you had the anti-fascists, which are really communists, battling the fascists who were Nazis. So it was the communists versus the Nazis. It was left-on-left violence. That's the same thing happened in, in Charlottesville in Virginia. People don't realize that. You had fascists and communists. Really so good. the left even battles the left. There's a topic for you. In the times in history when the left has battled the left, this is not a right-left confrontation. In this country right now, you know, you've got different, you've got different groups vying for who's the most leftist, who has the most powers. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. But does that make sense now that the left does battle the left, that you have to prove yourself worthy of, of the leftist title, that there are, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, I'm sure, compete for, for dominance in the media. Who's the most leftist? Who's the most violent? Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right about, like, the government schools. I mean, have you heard Mm -hmm. of, uh, what's his name, Rockefeller? Which one? About, have you heard about Rockefeller? John D. Um, Where, you know, what? Was John D. Rockefeller, he was the the big daddy of the Rockefeller family. Yeah, and how um, he was a really, really big advocator for, like, the um, women's to, women, (laughs) women's, women's like rights and to like go out and work and everything. And it was funny because like I saw you, everybody still to this day agrees like that was a good thing. But it's so funny because there was, there was an underlying thing to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And now it, I think this is becoming a more popular uh, knowledge because I actually also saw a video that's describing the same exact thing. And I was like, oh, wow, people are actually, you know, speaking of it. It was about him like also putting the children in government schools no longer like brought up by the mothers and the fathers and like the mm-hmm. family where God, the, family and country parents are really people. Yeah. yeah. Instead it's, it, it was putting all these children now in government schools. Mm-hmm. And watch that video. Uh, I watch that video I sent you. It's going to make a lot more sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think, remember that one thing that I talked about that one day about the red and the blue circle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you were saying earlier about um, why people aren't seeing the obvious now. And it's, and I think it's like from the very, very beginning, like from this very morning, well, from the very first of this morning, we were mm-hmm. talking about like how it's kind of like a, a chain and a, a evolved kind of thing that just built up and built up until it was time to pop the balloon and it all exploded because everybody was so full of all of this, you know? And so I think that's definitely somewhere that we have to start in saving our country's education. I think a lot of parents and, and a lot of people are starting to see that too about having to change the education. And like one of the, the biggest things, like even, um, uh, what was her name? Is it Josie? Um, mm-hmm. Was talking about how when people go off to college, they're completely different when they come back. Yeah. Yep. A lot and of people so, said that. Yeah. See, I don't think this country can survive a government education system. I don't think government should have any business in education. When uh, A lot of people call me crazy for this, but when, when COVID first hit back in, in March of 2020 and the schools started closing, I said, great, leave them closed. Leave them closed permanently. Sell the buildings. Fire all the teachers, get rid of them, get rid of the school boards, get rid of the administrators, get rid of the State Department of Education, get rid of the Federal Department of Education, close the whole thing down now. All the schools in the country are closed. Start from sell, sell the buildings, <laughs> go to a completely privatized system, sell the schools to school, private school entrepreneurs, go to a full voucher system, all educational taxes go back to parents you know, to select the schools that they want. Actually, all educational taxes, vouchers should go to everybody so they can pick. Uh, where they want to send money. If you want to send money to a ballet school, go for it. <clears throat> I would send money to a flight school so more kids can learn to fly. That's what I did at 16. You know, so, uh, so there's all kinds of ways to go in education. And people said, you can't do that. We need our government education. Uh, I'm telling you, this is a window of opportunity. If we can close all the government schools right now while they're closed, while the teachers are on beaches in, in, in Panama and Costa Rica having a good time because they're still being paid to not teach, right? They didn't lose any money because they got a union, right? People forget that. The teachers were paid throughout all the times those schools were closed. If you can close the them all down, that, um, go ahead. What do you think? Close the whole thing or, or try and fix things, it? Um, so I think Go ahead. you have to have parents involved. I think you have to have the truth involved. And I think you have to start from the bottom up. Like you have to start from pre-K and start reforming the grade level as you go up. And mm-hmm. I think I think public school is okay and, and good and accessible for students, but it needs to be completely reformed in what we are teaching students. And we have to have the parents involved in everything. Now, I don't think because it can be reformed. You, I, I disagree with you. I think that the, the system is so corrupt. There's the idea that government, government is incapable of giving a quality education without a government indoctrination. I don't think they can do it. I just, uh, that's, that's just the nature of government and the nature of people that go into it. It cannot be done. It has to be a fully privatized homeschool, uh, regular school, tutors. You know, uh, in other words, tutors, private schools, specialty schools, uh, and homeschool. So that's the only way to educate. You're going to get the last word. And but then I am to, all for school stop. choice. I oh, yeah. Know. Unless you make the last comment, I'll just tell you right now. We're back tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock for all the folks listening, 7 a.m. Central Time. Um, but uh, they're going to shut us off here. <laughs> we got like five, you know, five minutes. So I'm going to give you the last word. And I'm going to tell you now, this has been a real pleasure for me. I really enjoy talking to you, and I'm looking forward to, to our chat next week after the election. Let's see, uh, see how our predictions turn out. So you got the last word, and then I'll be back tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that was the discussion now. Yeah. Go vote, everybody. (laughs) Go vote.
<laughs> okay, sounds good. We'll we'll, we'll pick up education next time because uh, you know it's interesting to disagree on that. We'll see what happens. But uh, give me that chart too if you can. The uh, on what where they the, whatever those folks did where they put the various political systems. All right, we're out of here. Brianna, thank you so much. Great panelists here for Action Radio. And this is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And don't vote unless you know what you're doing. Otherwise, stay home and watch. I'll be back tomorrow. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.